Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Happy, happy Thursday to all of you from the Discovery Design Studios. DiscoveryDesign8.com. You guys are builders. You guys are movers, shakers, haulers. You name it, they got it for you. They build trucks from the ground up there at Discovery Design, Inc. And they support Radio Free Almond. So what more could you possibly want? Good morning. Jim Carafano is going to join us in just about a half hour. He's going to be an early bird this morning. And we're going to talk a little bit about Korea. And I know there's a lot of other stuff going on, and, and we'll get to that. Uh, Jimmy Hoff's going to join us at uh, about 7.30. So... That's going to be a blast to have him with us and Jim Carafano with the good news about what's happening with Korea. And it looks like we're finally going to have, wow, some degree of peace over there, which is uh, nothing short of amazing. Big news along the lines of the Kavanaugh issue. And we've got Claire McCaskill who says she's uh, voting no on Kavanaugh. And it has nothing to do with the allegations. It's just all the other stuff. So. This is where you had the example of people who just have plausible deniability. They were looking for some way to go ahead and tank this nomination. So Claire McCaskill is going to be a no vote. But we are getting word basically that, hey, if if uh, if this woman doesn't testify, this game is over. And of course, even if she does, it might likely be over also because here's the deal. He has the right to be able to face his accuser. This is an accusation. It is not on him, uh, in spite of all the whack jobs out there who are claiming that he's the one who has to disprove an allegation. Uh, She's the one who has to prove the allegation. And so far, it's not been very good. Uh, It's not been a good run for her. And right now, it just looks like she's hiding and they're stalling. And this tactic is backfire on them. I, I think there's a poll out there that is showing that, you know, that, that, that Americans are slowly losing support of Kavanaugh. But really, I don't – it's just been such a spate of negative news and accusations. It doesn't surprise me at, at all that people have – negative views or more people have negative views of Kavanaugh, I'm surprised people know who he is. So most people don't even, even before this, didn't even have an opinion of him, even one way or the other. I mean, I, I think most Americans out there, I have to tell you, we we talk a lot about the Kavanaugh situation in the Supreme Court nomination, but most of the people's lives are occupied by other things. Uh, you guys pay attention to it because you are uh, avid consumers, and this is a big, big deal. So uh, this is this is important. But for the most part, when polls go out, they're just polling everybody. And there are some people who had never even heard of Kavanaugh before this. And so once they're reminded that th- – who he is like oh yeah he's the guy that's accused of sexual assault and I'll say, oh yeah that's right yeah no i don't really like that yeah, i mean that's that's kind of how these polls go you know we don't know whether these folks knew of kavanaugh uh, before 
they even talked about him. So I, I don't I don't buy those polls. I will tell you though that not everybody who is predictably kind of anti Kavanaugh, pro woman, no matter what she says, is getting airtime. I, I have to tell you, this Megan Kelly interview that I'm going to focus a lot on this morning because I think it's important. So if you are one of those folks who listen to the show all three hours, I will warn you that you will hear this again later on because it's so much fun to play. And that's because it's Megan Kelly who I have to tell you before all this, and I, I can't tell you that I have really great views of her. I think she was an obstructionist there at Fox News. I think she was self-absorbed. I think she was self-centered. I think she was all about Megan. I think she was tiresome, and she hated Trump, and it just was a disaster there at Fox News, and I didn't particularly like her all that much. I thought she was good at what she does, you know, for what she does, but I really wasn't uh, a big fan of hers. Uh, to tell you the truth, and and that lingered on through her time at NBC. And so this is interesting, though, because she's on with, with Chris Matthews on Hardball. And so here's Megyn Kelly on MSNBC, and I, I think she's finally found her place. She's finally found a niche here. But Chris Matthews, you know, when she's on with Chris Matthews, she makes him look like just like a little, a little toad, you know, a little toadstool, you know, and, and and she just makes him look small. And so, what do you do when you're a guy who looks small, and you know that down the line somebody at NBC or MSNBC forced you to talk to her? You can kind of tell that Chris Matthews really didn't, in the end, really want to talk to her because she's not saying anything. Uh, that, I think Dr. Ford is running out that, of options. That, that Chris Matthews wants to hear. So if you'll notice during the interview when he is uh, I think talking, Dr. Ford. I got, I got, I got a cue, when, I, when I try to cue this up, it, it tends to, uh, to autoplay. But she, you'll notice that Chris while she's talking, is clearing his throat a lot, which is, first of all, really rude, and I wanted to punch him throughout the whole thing. But he is listening to her, and all you hear is going, it's like, really, dude? You're such a little punk ass. While Megyn Kelly's telling him something he doesn't want to hear. And you know that you know he that they don't have his mic cut. It's not him just kind of like, yeah, well, I had to clear my throat because you know my I knew my mic was off, so had to clear my throat. So he's listening to her talk. She's making huge amounts of sense, and he can just do the. <clears throat> uh, I think Dr. Ford is running out of options. I think she needs to show up on Monday and offer her testimony if she wants to be heard because for better or for worse, she is not in charge of this. The The Senate is in charge of this. That committee's in charge of this. And their obligation is to provide advice and consent to the president on his judicial nominee. <clears throat> yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't like that. <clears throat> they get to decide what will inform that decision. Um, and what they've decided is they'll reopen the hearings, 
um, which they think is an accommodation given that Dianne Feinstein knew about this allegation when the hearings were open originally and didn't raise it. She could have raised it, you know, saying there's an anonymous accuser. But notwithstanding that, they're reopening it and giving her the chance to speak publicly, privately. Senator Grassley even said, we'll send somebody out to California to interview you. And she's rejected all of those. And Senator Cornyn is right that she she isn't in a position to demand protocols. It's, it's not her right. It's not easy for any sexual assault victim or a person who claims to be a victim. We don't know in her case one way or the other. But hearing her would really help. And, and it's always tough for these women to actually come forward and offer their testimonial. It's never an easy thing. But women stand up every day in criminal courts and civil courts across this country, and they do it. And I would say most find it rather empowering to tell the story. Um, so, you know, if she wants to be heard, she has an opportunity. You know, Monday is still a few days away and she could do it. Um, if she doesn't do it then, she might ding the guy up publicly as a matter of reputation, as she already has. Uh, but it's not going to be much more than that. And so this is it. It's do or die okay, for her. That, that's, as, that's as good a point as I've heard throughout this entire time from someone who generally is kind of a would would generally be on the Me Too side of the train. Believer, blah, blah, blah. But when Megyn Kelly comes out there and says that she should be talking about this, if this happened to her, she should talk about this and suck it up like so many other women do who are really assaulted, suck it up, and stand up before the public and make her accusation. Now, I said this yesterday that I felt like the way she's handling this as it is, I'm talking about the alleged sexual assault victim, the way she's handling as it is is already demeaning to real sexual assault victims because she's being cagey, she's being evasive, she's taking kind of side shots without being direct. And so to me, she's hurting the case of people who actually are really sexually assaulted or are really victims of attempted sexual assaults because this is a situation where the less you believe her, the the more all kinds of claims are put into doubt. And that's just not right. But Megyn Kelly really nailed it. Uh, Chris Matthews didn't like it. You could tell. He was like, <clears throat> you know, because he's he's such a he's such a punk. I mean, it's and it's so rude, first of all. And but you could tell he didn't like it. And that was him telling all of his little minions who were watching his stupid show that he didn't like it either. But Megan uh, made some really good points out there. And I noticed, too, that that the Megyn Kelly way she's on TV hasn't changed. I think that Megyn Kelly must have had it in her contract over at Fox, and I think must have it in her contract here, that when I'm speaking, the, the camera must be on me at all times, which, you know, I guess that's kind of her thing. I, I get it, but uh, the camera must be on me at all all times. Megyn Kelly, if you'll notice this in this interview, is never in a double box. And 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 even when she was at Fox, when she spoke, she was you you'd never see her 
uh, side by side in a double box. She she would never share a box with anybody. I always thought that was pretty interesting to watch her over at Fox News. You could tell that she was she had demanded that she never be in a in a in a double box, and she's still not in one with Chris. But I don't I don't really care about that. I just think that's uh, curious to note. But that's a, that's about as good a point as I've heard in a long time from somebody who I believe is at least credible on this subject. Uh, and, and someone who traditionally would go for anything that comes out of this woman's mouth. Now, in case you didn't know, uh, the reality is she really hasn't really made a direct accusation against Kavanaugh. She hasn't said, you did this to me. And we need to make her do that. Now, again, we don't need to put them in kind of a room together. I mean, I, I, I get it. If something did happen, I I'm not trying to to re hurt her again. I don't want to hurt her. I don't, I don't think that's appropriate. What I'm saying is, she needs to stand up, and, and her case is falling apart. And yeah, Lisa, it was interesting. She, when Megan was on, if you, if you go back to Fox News, she was never in a. She was never in a double. If, if, if she was listening to somebody and they took a picture of her, it was full wide. If she was talking, always full wide, but never in a double box. And she wasn't here either. She so must have some kind of thing like if you if I'm talking, don't be putting me in a double box. So that Chris Wall, Chris Matthews can roll his eyes while I'm uh, while I'm speaking. So I'll I'll double back on that. But she. Uh, She's really not easy on Diane Feinstein either, considering how Feinstein knew about this original allegation during the initial hearings and did nothing. And, and again, that's another example of how individuals uh, like Diane Feinstein and others really wind up demeaning women. Not helping them. So, I mean, if you're Diane Feinstein and you're saying that this is the worst crime on earth and of late, and it's Kavanaugh, and it's horrible, and it is disqualifying, and this woman is a victim who has been traumatized for 36 years, and you know about it, but don't bring it up. How does that reflect on how you feel about the actual event? How does that reflect on how uh, things are? You're viewing uh, the victimhood or alleged victimhood of this person. So, again, if it's really that important, then why aren't you bringing it on? Why aren't you, why aren't you making the play here? And so that, again, also is demeaning to alleged sexual assault victims or beyond because what you're doing is you're just acting as if this is just a thing you can use as a political hammer as opposed to really addressing an issue where a woman has been sexually assaulted. Honey, I know you've been sexually assaulted, but can we wait about six weeks to talk about this? So we, because we, it's not going to have much impact early. It'll have it late because what they wanted to do it late is because as long as they do it late, there's little time to kind of work. Everything has to be smushed into one dramatic week as opposed to giving this thing six weeks, making the initial claim, and then watching it dissipate over a period of weeks, which which it would. And all they want to do is they want to delay 
the confirmation. They want to delay all this. So this is a delay tactic. So they're using a woman's alleged victimhood as a delay tactic. That That's what this is really all about. And Feinstein is horrible for doing this. And the woman isn't much better if she's playing along. And clearly she is. She made the allegation and then took a polygraph test in August and kept quiet this whole time. And, you know, if she really, really, really felt like this was a crime committed against her, she would have come out the minute Kavanaugh was even announced as the nominee, wouldn't you think? I mean, since she was so pinpointedly sure about Kavanaugh being her attacker, you would think that she actually would have said something about this publicly instead of waiting the week before a confirmation vote. So this whole thing stinks to high heaven. It's corrupt. And yes, Vicky, I agree. It's a sham. And don't listen to the polls. It doesn't matter. Kavanaugh ultimately is going to be confirmed. There's there's nothing out there at this point that can come her st- out. Her story is falling apart. And so she's gotten to the point. And, and so frustrated are some of these uh, these Republicans and, uh, I mean, uh, Democrats, that they're now resorting to cussing now. And this uh, beast known as Maisie Hirono over there in Hawaii is, she's the one with the, you know, sh- shut up and stand up, the, that unintelligible comment she made uh, the other day. But here she is deciding that she's going to, uh, to to just start to cuss because these people now are getting frustrated. They're, they're going, they're, they're, they're losing their minds because they don't have this woman anymore. Uh, Jeff Flake and, and, and the other Republicrats who hate Donald Trump are like, um, gosh, can you testify behind closed doors? Maybe. Can you say something? Because they're losing this thing, too. Jeff Flake desperately wants to ram a hot poker up the rear end of President Trump before he leaves office. And this was his last chance. So that's why they're saying, um, I don't know, maybe you can um, maybe we can write it in, in Chinese and decipher it that way. Any way for you to do this, we'll make it happen. You can just whisper it in my ear if you want to. We'll take it that way. Just say something because they desperately need, they desperately want this woman to say this. And the, the problem is, in the end, she can't. That's the problem. That, that's what this whole thing's about. She, she can't go in front of a microphone and put her right hand up and take an oath and say this. That's the problem. It's not about convenience. It's not about, well, I'm in California and DC's kind of far away. I don't know. It's an expensive plane trip. You know, she she can't there's they, they now they're they're offering to come to her. Grassley's saying, listen, we've done everything to contact her, and this Hirono chick is going ape over the whole thing. She doesn't she did and she's decided to cuss. And of, of course, uh ABC News is more than happy to to present her uh, with uh, the forum with which to do that. So here's uh, here's and and many senators who will have to decide on Kavanaugh are up for re-election. ABC's Mary Bruce back on the hill tonight. Are those senators listening to their constituents on both sides back home? 
From the moment Republicans like Senator Susan Collins arrived back in Washington, they've been under increasing pressure. Do you believe the accuser? I don't know enough to make a judgment at this point. But now those same Republicans are turning up the pressure on Christine Blasey Ford. There's a week between, more than a week, between when she made the allegations and the date of the hearing, which was slated for next Monday, I, I just don't understand why the hearing shouldn't go forth. Collins noting Ford has been told she could testify in private. I don't think that she can reject all those options. I mean, you're getting, you're getting a sense that, you know, Megyn Kelly, Susan Collins, and some of the usual suspects aren't cooperating with the bring down Kavanaugh movement. <laughs> and that's not that's got to be troubling and infuriating to all the folks who are trying to to do that. And of course, Hirono, who's coming up in this story, is one of them. Jeff Flake is the other. But Because otherwise, there are these very serious allegations hanging over the head of a nominee who has emphatically denied them. And that's just not a good way for us to end. Senator Jeff Flake, another key Republican, tweeting, I now implore Dr. Ford to accept the invitation for Monday. The committee should hear her voice. <laughs> that's, that's only because uh, Flake desperately wants her to make, he, he needs the Kavanaugh thing to go south. This is not because he's trying to be fair. He, he, need, they, he needs her to speak. Uh, Susan Collins, on the other hand, is 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 in that situation where she's just saying, listen, I want to be able to move this forward. I can't play this game. Flake desperately wants this to be a show on Capitol Hill because he wants this nomination to fail. That's that's what Jeff Flake wants. I love the line where <laughs> where he had. uh he he was I think it was hot air or somebody and they they quoted Flake as saying I implore you to and he goes next next up Flake will beseech her it's just, it was pretty funny because Flake's such a little puss it's like it's like blah. so he, he's one of those guys he's back in the day he'd be the he'd be the guy in the buckled shoes you know he'd be that fop with the buckled shoes and the and the big uh, flowing white wig and you know. <laughs> carrying around his writs and reading them. Miss Ford, Dr. Ford, I implore you to come to D.C. and please, yeah, here we go. Let's get it here. Tonight, the message from GOP leaders to Ford, show up or we're heading for a vote. She said she wanted to appear, but uh, if she changes her mind and, and refuses to appear, there's not much we can do. To but Democrats say Republicans are not doing enough to accommodate Ford. The latest being a letter from the chairman to the Democrats saying we have done everything we can to contact her. That is such I can't hardly stand it. All right. So there's Hirono. Now, what has Hirono done to contact her, by the way? Uh, because she's she's on the Judiciary Committee. I don't know why Hirono herself couldn't contact her. What about Feinstein? What about all these people? You know, listen, they might not be in charge of the committee in terms of handling the committee, but surely these individuals can reach out to her. I mean, isn't that correct? I mean, listen, if if NBC News can reach out to, to her, at least through her lawyer, certainly Hirono can reach out to her. 
But see, these people just keep on wanting to kind of stall this and let this thing play out and let, let this thing keep going. And this is the reason why they didn't do this six weeks ago. Now you know why they didn't do this when the woman actually made her allegation or when they actually could have in the initial phases of the hearing. Now you know why they didn't do it. Because this thing is falling apart. And it didn't take long. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, it's, it's, it's like a lead balloon, you know. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't stay up there very long, if at all. And they floated it, hoping this would carry them through. And what they really wanted was an outcome in which Kavanaugh gave up. They really wanted that kind of outcome. They wanted that kind of outcome where it was going to be so difficult for him to do this uh, that he would just give up instead of having to face her and face a hearing. That's really what they thought was going to happen. But the Republicans wisely called their bluff. And Kavanaugh, for his part, said, all right, I'll testify under oath. Bring me up there. I'll tell you everything you need to know. And then the Republicans were like, okay, uh, let's have this. Let's have this hearing. Let's have, let's have a hearing on this. And then suddenly they're like, um, no, we don't really want to. No, we don't really want to do that. We can't find her. We don't know where she is. We, we need the FBI to invest. It, they were just falling all over themselves in now uh, not, not knowing how to handle this situation. So we're going to follow up more with this because it's developing as the, as the morning goes on. Uh, we also have Jim Hoft joining us as well. We have news that those phone calls, most of those phone calls you're receiving on your cell phone, half of them are scams. Either that or pollsters. We'll follow up on that as well. And we have uh, in Spanish the Puerto Rican governor basically dressing down a Telemundo reporter trying to get him to say that Trump is an evil man. So we've got that going for us. And you're going to love Jim Carafano straight ahead because he's got good news regarding Korea. The man who they said was going to destroy the world is actually making it more peaceful. And that would be our man, uh, Donald J. Trump. Also, and uh, if you guys hadn't heard this already, Claire McCaskill is saying she's a no vote on Kavanaugh. And that is no surprise. She was looking for an excuse and she found it, although she says it wasn't because of the sexual assault claims. She says it was because of all the other stuff. So, oh, well, uh, whatever whatever you say, Claire, uh, we'll follow up on that. And also Governor Jerry Brown, California, decides to take the Hillary Clinton route in terms of uh, attacking President Trump. And Hillary Clinton, this story isn't really going away. Hillary is now being roundly criticized by even some of the people on the left. And they're like, lady, you just need to shut your trap. You are really jumping the shark here, and we're getting tired, to tell you the truth, of, of, of hearing you. And so she wants to abolish the Electoral College, and she wants to – I mean, it's unbelievable the kinds of things she's droning on about, and we'll follow up on that. I know you've heard about her earlier in the week, but I love doubling back on it because she is really a great, great spokesman for the sore loser movement. That is for sure. Ladies and gentlemen, our – National Anthem People.
have credit card debt, Golden Oak Lending has the expertise to show you how to refinance your home and turn its increased value into cash, and you pay nothing out of pocket. People often tell me they didn't call sooner because they didn't think we could save them money. This is James Hawkins from Golden Oak Lending. With our expertise in today's increased home values, we can usually save you money. Call 314-567-GOLD. NMLS 1149-37-111 Westport Plaza, St. Louis, Missouri. Call 567-GOLD. People, hi everybody. You think that you are better now, better now. You only say that cause I'm not around, not around. You know I never meant to let you down, let you down. Would have gave you anything, would have gave you everything. You know I said that I am better now, better now. I only say that cause you're not around, not around. You know I never yeah. meant to let you we down. We are live here at something. Would have gave you anything, would have gave you Discovery Design everything. Studios. Everybody, really digging this song. I, I I've listened to it a million times. People play it all the time. Most Malone is an interesting character. The uh, I'm laughing, but I shouldn't be really. But yeah, what, what, you know, a while back, right after the. Music Awards, he was taken off in an airplane, his private plane with all of his uh, posse, you know. And they were headed over to Britain. And his the landing gear wouldn't go down. They had a problem with the landing gear. So he's flying around for like five or six hours in this plane, having to turn around and make an emergency landing in New Jersey. And it was really kind of a dicey situation. I mean, they were going to have to land without landing gear. And they actually did, which was was good. Then he got into a car accident. Then somebody came into a house he used to own or used to live in or whatever, demanding him to see him, you know. And they took like $22,000 worth of jewelry and all this kind of stuff. And it turns out that... Post Malone is saying that he might have touched somebody who touched a haunted object in one of these. uh, There's some kind of reality show, some kind of uh, some haunted reality paranormal show. And he was on there or something and he was touching a guy who touched a forbidden object. And he's thinking that he touched a haunted object (laughs) because he's had such bad luck. I don't know. He might be right, to tell you the truth. I don't I believe in that kind of stuff, so anyway, he's very talented. Got some uh, good music out there. Let's give Jimmy Ca- uh, Carafano a call, shall we? Let's do that. Jim Carafano. Good morning, Jim Carafano. Is Jim Carafano there or is this Jim Carafano's secretary? I, I, <laughs> that's that's too deeply philosophical for this early in the morning. I know, I know, buddy. I, well, you're a hard worker, yeah. buddy. I, we we sure. have we have a ton of respect for for Jim Carafano. How are you up there, man? It's going crazy up there in D.C. with this Kavanaugh stuff. I uh, you know I love it stuff. You know why? Because it has nothing to do with the stuff I work on. And <laughs> people leave me alone. So right, it's uh, yeah. Well, and and what you're working on is are are you involved at all in this whole Korea situation, or are you just kind of observing it? Oh yeah, I mean so. Th- 
this is really interesting. Um, it's kind of a another classic case study in Trump. So, and I, which I think you only get. I mean, if you if you kind of spend as much time as we do trying to study this stuff from all sides, and and I think you know we've talked about this over the years. I probably have the best analyst in the world on North Korea. He's been doing this for like 30 years and he talks to everybody, including the North Korean officials. So I don't think anybody has his, I'm not even sure the government has rounded a perspective on this as, as we do sometimes. But on the one hand, it's very clear what uh, the North Koreans want. Kim's definition of denuclearization is Pakistan. Now, which basically means that now that he's built a nuclear thing, he gets to keep it, and he just promises not to hurt anybody with it, and then everybody just accepts that they're a normal nation. Now, that is not the definition of denuclearization that the president put on the table uh, before Singapore, which was complete, verifiable removal of their nuclear capability. So we're clearly at the point where the North Korean vision of what this word means and the American vision of what this word means are two different things. Mm. And in the middle is South Korea, which says, look, let's just do a step-by-step, you know, one step at a time things, and we'll, and we'll see where we wind up. Those three visions are incompatible. And at some point here, somebody's got to blink. And I, I think we're in the phase of time here where somebody's got a blink. Right. So I'm I'm assuming that that it's not gonna be the US who's going to well, blink. Well this is well this is the question, right? Um on the one hand, uh there are lots of and, and for blinking for the US would basically mean we would come off not just the end state of hey, everything's gone, but this requirement of no relief from sanctions, military pressure, until it's very clear that you are no longer a nuclear threat. So it's essentially giving up on the strategy of maximum pressure. On the one side, we see plenty of evidence where the U.S. is putting in additional sanctions. We have the U.N. secretary calling out the Russians. On the other hand, you see kind of tweets in the president saying, this is going great, I'm really proud, we're going to be working together. North Korea and South Korea are even going to put in a joint bid for the uh, Olympics. Um, and the, so the question is, is what is actual U.S. policy? The North Koreans think there's a gap between what officials are doing and what the president is saying. They think Trump needs a deal, wants a deal, has to have a deal to look strong and do well in the midterm elections. So they essentially think Trump can be played. So um, so that's kind of the big debate in Washington is, you know, is Trump going to just make a deal with the North Koreans for the sake of making a deal, or is he actually going to hold a hard line? Now, the other factor to be weighed in here is Iran, because if the U.S., does kind of a softball deal for North Korea, then everybody, including the Iranians and Europeans, would say, well, why are you complaining about the Iran deal and JPCOA if you're going to turn around and give somebody that actually has nuclear weapons a better deal, right? So if we go soft on North Korea, it makes it harder for us to be tough on Iran. 
conversely, if we hold the line on North Korea, the, the Iranians will look at that, and the Iranians and North Koreans talk to each other all the time. And, and the Iranians will say, oh, geez, they're being tough on the North Koreans. Obviously, you know, if we want to deal, we're going to have to recognize they're going to be tough on us. So um, so we're kind of in the wait-and-see mode. And what I, what I don't recommend is people do what they always do, which is just kind of cherry-pick the president's last comment or something and say, oh, well, you know, obviously this is it. I mean, I think you have to look at all the evidence in totality and, and see what happens. And, and right now I think, like I said, right now I think – People are sitting around the, you know, the Oval Office or the Situation Room or Starbucks or wherever they meet, and they're saying, "Are we going to negotiate on the North Koreans' terms, or are we going to send a very clear signal that whether he does it at the summit or before the summit or after the summit or if they even have a summit, we're going to send a very clear signal that you guys can play you know games all you want, but the deal is the deal." Um, you denuclearize, and until you get rid of your stuff, the pressure doesn't come off. Right, right. Wow. So I'm trying to figure out – I was trying to figure out why John Kerry suddenly has reappeared, how his coffin creaked open all of a sudden. And so I'm trying to figure out, is is it because of the Iran deal? Is he out there kind of I, – I don't, I don't see why he's – and I know you don't do politics. That's not what I'm asking. Right, but yeah. I'm trying to right. figure out why why he's suddenly – appearing out of nowhere and is it because of the iran thing that he's trying to defend that or what so uh, apparently and uh and actually i mean i think what he's advising them is kind of what the iranians were thinking about anyway which is you know lay low trump will be gone in two years and then things will go back to normal you know which is, I think, kind of what the the Iranian strategy is at at this point. Right, right. I see. And, and so, again, though, uh, that's that seems to be the similar strategy of North Korea, where because it it seems to me that they're all hoping that somehow President Trump gets just gets tired that he didn't really mean anything that he was saying, well, or that advisors will step in or whatever. I think the difference. I think there's a, a, a there's a difference between Iran and North Korea at this point. You know, again, we're just guessing here. I mean, we have information. We talk to people. People talk to people. Um, this is what it means to me. I think the Iranians think the smart play is to just wait Trump out, and in two years their friends will be back. You know, <laughs> and I think the North Koreans think, no, 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 Trump can be played. Right. Right. We right. can use the next two years, and we can get out of them what we want. And the North Koreans, actually, their advice to the Iranians was, hey, talk to Trump. You know, we're going to play this guy like a fiddle. You can, too. Um, but, but it's, you know, based on a, a very uh, – um, an assessment of Trump that he's desperate for a deal and that he's not very smart and he's not very tough. Um, one of the big issues that we debate in North Korea is the North Koreans desperately want a peace treaty. Uh, and the South Koreans actually have, have stated that as well, this regime. Um, we have a, it's a complicated issue. It, it sounds like, oh, what's a big deal? Give him a peace treaty. We're not going to kill him anyway. Um, we have a great paper on our website if people really care about this issue. Yeah. Uh, by Bruce Klinger. Um, he just did a, it's a very good explanation about why, you know, the, when your, your kid sits down at the table, you don't say, okay, here's a piece of pie. 
right? And then after you finish your pie, you know, you you know, you'll eat your steak and potatoes, right? I mean, <laughs> right. Yeah, there's a reason why we hold off dessert till the end. And the notion is, is why would we hand the North Koreans something they really want for nothing right. at the front end and get nothing for it? That's basically our. It's just dumb, right? Yeah. It just sends. Even if you think it, even if you think that the the peace deal is a a nothing burger for you, it's a big deal for them, and it's gonna it's gonna encourage them to believe that you can be played. So it's it's right. not the smart play. Is what our thinking is. Uh, listener Dan wants to know because I I think we th- this was broached out for a while, but then then kind of died down. But the the idea of carry. Seeming, seeming to negotiate on the side with Iran, is, is that a violation of the Logan Act, or did he do anything I, that was illegal? I, I don't believe so. Um, the Logan Act basically says you can't negotiate on behalf of the U.S. government without the U.S. government's permission. Um, that advising them is not negotiating with them, first of all. Um, as a private American citizen, you can go out and say whatever you want. Um, the other thing is proving that there were, a negotiation took place right, would be actually, I think, quite difficult. Right. Nobody's ever been prosecuted under the Logan Act. Um, and I, and, I, and I, think, I think people use it a bit freely when they say, oh, my God, it's a violation. I mean, there's a reason why nobody ever gets charged with this thing. Right. Um, because it's it's actually very very difficult to prove, which is kind of what you want, you know. So, for example, I I talk to people in embassies all the time. I I I say this is what I think the U.S. government's doing. They say, well, what should we do? I said, well, you know, you you, know, you might you, you might think about doing this, but I'm I'm not advising them. I'm I'm not acting as their foreign agent, and I'm very sure not negotiating with them. But if you had an incredibly partisan political administration, they could take everybody in the think tank that they don't like, and every time they visit an embassy, charge them with a violation of the Logan Act. You know, and we spend all of our life in court. Right, right. Or, you know, or, you know, we're in striped pajamas. So <laughs> I, I, for one, am, am not real super excited that, you know, about charging people with violations of the Logan Act right and left, unless somebody's, you know, there's real evidence that, that somebody has committed a crime. You know, for the people that run out and say, well, let's throw Kerry in jail, just to bring this back to the Supreme Court thing, how, how do people feel about this person's name but that is disqualified for public service because somebody suggested something? Right. And not even if it's true, verified, proven, unproven, investigated, but the mere fact that somebody suggested something should be a disqualifying thing for public office. I mean, so I, I think we ought to be cautious about how we use the law to go after our political opponents. Yeah, I, I, it depends, too, because sometimes, you know, it depends on how brazen they are with it. You know, because every time I right. turned around, he was talking, he was being interviewed on Colbert's show and saying, oh, yes, of course I did. It. It's like, you know, so he's bragging about being, you know, b- about doing it. So it's, it's one. Th- so at, at the very least, I think people were kind of like, dude, yeah. uh, that doesn't sound right. But I uh, get that. But yeah. But, but- but so we don't use the law as a as a weapon to fight our political opponents. I think it's we're even more cautious when we're dealing with partisan opponents about whether we we throw the book at them. Yeah, right. And look, the reality is is Kerry ran for president. Nobody voted for him. Um, he was one of the most ineffectual 
foreign secretaries of modern history. Uh, I'm not I'm not sitting around worrying about John Kerry. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, if, if I were him, you know, I I'd be I'd be you know. Farming potatoes in Iowa. I know. I'd be you know. sailing. I mean, I'd be, I'd be on my my slip or whatever the hell it is he he likes to be on. You know, so. Right. Yeah. Or staying in one of my fourteen houses. Or... <laughs> exactly. I mean, you're you're so right about that. All right, buddy. Well, and 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 one quick thing though. So in the end, and I, I ask you this sometimes. We have a lot going on internationally. Uh, in the end, how would you assess this president and his foreign relations prowess? Uh, maybe even as compared to uh, some of the fears that were extended before he was elected. Well, I mean, what's very clear, um, we're not isolationist, right? Anything, it's anything but an isolationist foreign policy, right? And and America first clearly does not mean America alone. I mean, if the president didn't care about Western Europe, why would he be over beating up NATO to be a better defense alliance? Why would he be meeting with the Polish president talking about putting U.S. military bases in Poland. So all of the character things, he is, he is not that. Um, he's also, like I said, not impulsive, not ill-disciplined. People may not like his policies. They may not like his negotiating style. But it is not just some guy waking up this morning and saying, what do I do in the world? Right. The other thing I'd say is, and I go back to you know, the paper that we wrote at Heritage, you know, long before Donald Trump even talked about running for president, we said, look, this is... The Obama administration has been walking away from the world, and the world is 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 smoking and getting ready to go on fire. Three parts of the world that we really need to have a level of stability in: Europe, the Indo-Pacific, and the Middle East. America needs to be present in those parts of the world and demonstrate its willingness to defend our, our interests. This administration has done that, um, and they've done it better than any president since Ronald Reagan. And so, if you're asking me to grade where this guy sits, uh, I, it's it's very very difficult if you're objective and honest about this, just based on what we've seen in the first two years, to argue anything about this is the best foreign policy presidency that we've seen since Ronald Reagan. Sorry. Yeah, I I, I know. I mean, I think it's I, I feel uh, it, it's very stable and and comfortable and safe and it and it seems to me that there's somebody in charge and I have to tell you too it's it's awfully refreshing to have people uh do and by the way President Trump the other day mentioned his Poland speech I don't know whether you right. would uh, great speech yeah it yeah. was and, and we, you and I talked about it last week and people love that discussion that we had but he just mentioned uh the the Poland Poland speech again in reference to what was what's been lately going on with with Poland so uh, I, I just I feel like there's somebody who really isn't going around the world, and every time I see him speaking in a foreign country, he's somehow putting the uh, the United States down, and 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 it hasn't been him going it alone, but he also hasn't kind of thrown the the country under the bus, and I just feel like he he is uh, proud of us, so I'm good, yeah. you know, I'm yeah, good. I mean, look, and to contrast that. Every time John Kerry opens his mouth is another reminder of why people voted for Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That is true. Uh, and by the way, you guys do great work with your papers and things. If, if you guys have an entire 
it doesn't matter what the issue is. You guys have an entire menu of all kinds of different uh, expert papers, expert studies on what's been going on, whether it be immigration or whether it be what you're just talking about now with uh, North Korea or Iran. Uh, it doesn't matter, man. You guys are kicking it. So we love you. Yep. www.heritage.org. All right, my friend. Well, have a great rest right. of your morning, and thanks a ton for joining me. All right. Good talking to you. All right. Good talking to you, too. That's uh, Jimmy Carafano. Good man right there. Yep, that's right, people. We're live from the Discovery Design Studios. Don't forget, for all of your window treatment needs, Dr. Naputi, thank you so much for hitting up Michael Proctor. For new window treatments down there at your Bayless office there, NaputiWellness.com. NaputiWellness.com, people. And Proctor Drapery. Proctor spelled like doctor, people. I love it when my two of my supporters, two of my sponsors, two of my friends are getting together and working on their own deals. It's fantastic. So he got some beautiful uh, window treatments out there at the Bayless office. And thank you, Dr. Naputi, for uh, going directly to Michael Proctor. And Michael Proctor is going to go directly to you for all of his health care needs where you're not band-aiding an issue. You're going right to the core of the problem. Spinal cord, people. That's where you're going to find it. So thank you very much for all you guys and all you all what you do. And tell your friends you advertise here. We're kicking ass. I got more listeners than I ever had before, even on ninety seven one. And that's when people don't even know where I am. Some of them, some of them don't have a phone. I don't. I'm like, do you have a? You, you can download the app. I don't have a phone. It's like okay. You on Facebook? No. I'm like okay. Well, I don't know what else to do then. I can, I can hologram myself up in the sky, I guess. I don't know. Trying. Maybe that's next. Who knows? But thank you all for your support of the show. RadioFreeAlman.com is where you can get your hats. And don't forget either, also, folks, that we've got the Santino Cigars and Cocktails. We've got our, we've got our big Radio Free Alman happy hour happening down there on the 27th. That's next Thursday. The County Brown Barbecue guys will be out there. Why is the volume so high on this? I don't, I don't know whether I just got my... Because my volume is hardly even up, and I can't even hear myself uh, think. I don't know whether I'm talking over this or what the hell's going on. I don't know. What's, what's up with them? Good song, though. R.E.M. Out of Time is probably one of my favorite uh, albums by R.E.M. I don't know what Michael Stipe is up to. I think, what is he, hate Trump? I don't know. I like I like these songs, though. It's called Out of Time. Be pulling me off Facebook either, you punks. Over there at Facebook, I'm playing some music that you like. Leave me alone. A song called Near Wild Heaven, people. Yes. It's kind of like a little, it's a little sugary. It's a sweet little love song, people. 
near wild heaven. That's how I feel when you're with me. Just in the near wild heaven. This is one of those songs that Michael Stipe like gave to the guitarist. Here, dude, you can do one. It's fine. You go ahead. Father Tom wants to know about Scooter. I don't know what happened to Scooter. He never. He ne- he decided to go away one morning when he was slinging some hash here and kind of trolling the site. And all right, Lise, you take care, dear. Thank you so much for everything. But she's going over to the. Uh, app now so but the I I finally said dude if you're going to come on here and you're going to do all this kind of stuff and make these statements what's your name you know that's why I didn't want to kick him off I wasn't going to be that way but most of us we all use our real names I I don't really uh, I'm kind of done I've been there done that with the anonymous Facebook people and Twitter users, and I understand sometimes there's a need for it, uh, and, you know, and there's a, there's a need to have that anonymity, but most of the time it's not. And if you are going to go out there and basically be a troll, you know, he's he he was on here a while back, you know, kind of criticizing the show and stuff like that. I'm like, all right, I'm like, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, then I want to know who you are because it, it'll tell me everything about why you're saying what you're saying and that kind of thing. So we're, we're, we're a land of transparency. Did you guys just see this, uh, this bit from MSNBC? It looks like every once in a while, I'm so happy to see these journalists doing the right thing. I mean, CNN recently had a few people who seemed to kind of make sense. Allison Camerata, who was, who was usually just so insufferable is interviewing uh, Dr. Ford's lawyer and asking her tough questions. I was like, wow, Allison, that's pretty amazing. And then I've got coming up, uh, if you didn't hear it already, Megan Kelly, who, wow, I normally, I haven't had a whole lot of very positive thoughts about Megan Kelly, but she came on hardball with Chris Matthews and laid it out regarding Dr. Ford. And, and it was fairly compelling. I'm like, wow, there's the, there's the Megan I kind of used to know and love, the one that was tough, fair, and I- incisive, as opposed to just a uh, poor me, look at me, watch me cut my hair like I'm Queen Elizabeth I, and I hate Donald Trump. That, that version of her I, I didn't appreciate very much. But anyway, uh, I'll play that a little later on. But you saw President Trump, by the way, handing out meals two victims of Hurricane Florence there. He was in uh, New Bern, North Carolina. I noticed that they didn't do the same thing they did in Puerto Rico. So I guess if you're, if you're white and you are getting, no, hey, Mama Kay, uh, I, I know, I don't know for a fact that Scooter um, is, is not Drew Newman, but I pretty much can guarantee you that there's not a Newman on the planet who wants to F with me now. I'm just, I'm just telling you, it would be the stupidest move on earth to, to, to F with me now, especially with what's on the way. Wouldn't do it. 
So I, I doubt that very seriously. Uh, Drew Newman is hardly even on Twitter anymore. Uh, he's they're, they're lying low, the old Newman family is. And for good reason. Believe me. Just wait. So anyway, I'm watching him handing out meals to uh, the victims of Hurricane Florence. Uh, and remember in Puerto Rico when he did that, because I guess they were Puerto Ricans, and this is, this is your typical liberal kind of approach to these things, this, this, uh, and not all liberals are like this, but this is your typical approach that, that, that if you're black or white or, or black or Puerto Rican and you're receiving something from a white person, especially if that white person happens to be a Republican, somehow you are being demeaned. You're, you're, that, that white person is using you. Of course, we've had the white Democrats using black, Republic, uh, black people for God knows how long for their voting, for their everything else, and tricking them into voting for them by uh, promising things they have no intention of delivering. And wait till you see, hear what Beto O'Rourke said to a group of black individuals at a college about illegal immigrants. This tells you everything you need to know about how uh, white liberal guiltist Democrats view minorities. So anyway, remember when President Trump was handing out the food or well, I don't know what he was doing. He was throwing uh, – I don't know what exactly – I can't remember what it was, paper towel, something that the people needed, and it – they treated it like he was somehow throwing f- bananas to monkeys. It was kind of like, look at P- P- President Trump all happy to be uh, throwing stuff at these uh, these poor minorities. But in New Bern, where he's handing out meals to them, I was just waiting for somebody to say the same thing. But I guess the standard is that if you're white and you're actually receiving from food from somebody – uh, like a Republican, then all is okay. They don't think that that's demeaning. Anyway, on MSNBC, they were showing this, and this guy, Ali Velshi, who is a uh, never-Trumper, he hates Donald Trump, he's a left-winger, he actually got corrected by not one but two people on the air with him. One was Hans Nichols, who is the correspondent covering the president's trip to North Carolina. And the other one was uh, Velshi's co-host, Stephanie Rule. And I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is pretty amazing. This is kind of uh, semi-groundbreaking here. This, this, this never-Trump guy making stuff up is... is held to account by people on the air with him. Listen to this wonderful, wonderful piece of video and audio. What seeing here is the president uh, seems to be in front of cars. He's then handing meals to people. I assume uh, that someone has vetted this. One has to assume these are not random cars coming up to the president who are, and then people are getting That's food. That's right. When you, when you hate Trump, what do you think is going to happen when you make assumptions? Yeah, you're going to make assumptions that make the president look as horrible as possible, and Ali Velshi is reliably doing so here. This is this is somehow staged. Well, I wouldn't be so certain about that. Now, word of mouth could have spread, but there was a tight. That's Hans Nichols saying, "Um, I don't know. I don't think this is staged, dude." But 
love this. Hold on where the president's movements would be. This is what, in Secret Service talk, they say is an OTR, an off the record. So it isn't on any official log. All these people that are there visiting with the president, they haven't been frisked. They haven't gone through the intense security. Believe me, this isn't going to get any better for Ali Velshi. He's going to go into the dressing room after this, after he screams at his two people on the air with him uh, and slit his wrist. This is so humiliating normally go through to get anywhere close to the president. We certainly hadn't picked anything up that there was a any sort of indication that the president was going to be going to this location and delivering meals because, in part, Ali, we would have tried to been there and been there live. So, so that's so he, this guy, at that point, Ali still needs to make this still into some kind of staged event and he has to do that. So once he's dumped out of the Hans Nichols dress down, uh, he's has to deal with Stephanie Rule, who is his co-host, and she's not any more charitable to never Trump loon Ali Velshi. To think at a moment like this, it's not about politics. I mean, those are people who are probably very happy to have a meal. Uh, I, I, I have no doubt about that. I, I, just in all of our reporting Thanks, and being around the president, it is not typical that uh, random unscreened people can drive their cars up next to the president like that uh, and, and, and do that. So th- 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 I'm not suggesting that they call a rally. We've seen President Obama at soup kitchens and things like that. Yeah, at events. I think folks get checked. Maybe they do. I'm, I'm glad those people are getting lunch right now. I mean, that is... You, you have to imagine that Ali Velshi is seething right now at the people he's on the air with deciding they are going to uh, tell him he's wrong about the fact that this is staged. And then she, then she even brings up Obama. She's like, we went to soup kitchens and stuff. We see him all the time. It happens all the time. Well, I don't know. I say, it's just, you know, Ali Velshi, by the way, is a professional news anchor, right? And I just thought it was so refreshing to actually see uh, these these people suddenly who I otherwise didn't think always made sense make sense. Megan Kelly is another example. I realize I played this at the start of the show, but I have to play it again. I told you all if you if you listen to the show for all three hours, you're going to hear this a couple of times because it just is that good. Now I've never had a whole lot of love for Megan Kelly of late. Uh, and during the election, I thought she was embarrassing and she was self-absorbed, self-centered, hated Donald Trump and was basically running against him uh, from her perch there at Fox News. Didn't have a whole lot of respect for her. But even if you don't like Kavanaugh and you're sympathetic to Dr. Ford or whatever, no matter what your position happens to be, you have to acknowledge that this, what Megyn Kelly is about to say here, makes a lot of sense. And Chris Matthews certainly didn't like it because he's clearing his throat uh, during the entirety of this this time. He's like, you know, because uh, you can tell he doesn't like what Megyn Kelly is saying. And I'm, I'd be surprised if Chris Matthews really even wanted her on his show. Because to tell you the truth, you're looking at Megyn Kelly here and you're looking at this withered old left winger who's been around forever. And you're thinking, boy, she looks pretty good right there, doesn't she? <laughs> and, and, and then you're thinking, uh-oh. 
And earlier I said that Megyn Kelly never wants to be in a, a uh, double box. And uh, I will have to tell you that part of that might have to do with, uh, hey, Joe, thanks a ton, man. I, I know you you got to get going, but uh, I appreciate you. And uh, head to the stream, my friend. Head to the stream. Thank you, Joe. Uh, here, but I think that there might be also an issue where not only does Megan not want the double box, but I don't think Chris Matthews wants the double box either. Because at that point, it's definitely Beauty and the Beast, and you definitely see new and old. And again, I I'm I've been around for a long time. I don't I don't always crack on people who have been around a long time. You know, I don't. I, I want to be around a long time. There, I'm sure there are people who think, boy, Alman, you've been around a long time. I get it. But I just don't happen to uh, think Chris Rathier. I think he's kind of uh, jumped the shark with his propagandist ways and seems to be just now the blathering old guy on the porch. So that's just my view of it anyway. Megan Kelly, though, makes this statement about Dr. Ford. And, yeah, keep, keep your ears open for... Chris Matthews to <clears throat> whenever she says something he doesn't like. Uh, I think Dr. Ford is running out of options. I think she needs to show up on Monday and offer her testimony if she wants to be heard, because for better or for worse, she is not in charge of this. The, the Senate is in charge of this. That committee's in charge of this. And their obligation is to provide advice and consent to the president on his judicial nominee. <clears throat> and so they get to decide what will inform that. <clears throat> I don't like this. I don't like this. Hey, by the way, I won't interrupt. Should I interrupt this? I do. I will. I have to because Steam Fitter Chris is on the Facebook feed. Dude, I saw this uh, book like this old school. It had to be like from the 30s or something. And I guess it was some kind of manual. If I see it again, I'll pick it up for you. Uh, It it was at one of these resale shops or whatever. And it was a, uh, a Steam Fitter plumbing manual old plumbing manual i don't know whether you like that old stuff but i'll pick it up for you next time we're, we're gonna go fishing with i'm gonna go fishing with steam fitter chris one of these days decision um and what they've decided is they'll reopen the hearings um which they think is an accommodation given that si- diane feinstein knew about this allegation when the hearings were open originally and didn't raise it she could have raised it you know saying there's an anon- anonymous accuser but notwithstanding that they're reopening it and giving her the chance to speak publicly privately senator grassley even said we'll send somebody out to california to interview you and she's rejected all of those and senator cornyn is right that she she isn't in a position to demand protocols. It's its not her right. It's not easy for any sexual assault victim or a person who claims to be a victim. We don't know in her case one way or the other. But hearing her would really help. And and it's always tough for these women to actually come forward and offer their testimonial. It's never an easy thing. But women stand up every day in criminal courts and civil courts across this country, and they do it. And I would say most find it rather empowering to tell the story. Um, so, you know, if she wants to be heard, she has an opportunity. You know, Monday is still a few days away, and she could do it. Um, if she does I don't want to hear this. Do it then. She might ding the guy up publicly as a matter of reputation, as she already has. Uh, but it's not going to be much more than that. And so this is it. It's do or die okay, for her. Okay, if you're... Yeah, I mean, that... that- 
that was a damn good recitation of exactly what's on the table here. And really, with Megan's background, this was kind of like, wow, this is this is your perfect place right there. I'm surprised they don't. I'm surprised they don't use her more often. I mean, I think she still has that morning show, and they. I guess that's the first time I've actually seen her being used as an analyst on any of these shows. It seems to me that she'd be uh, a, a valuable asset given her legal background. That she'd be a valuable asset on any of these shows, even if it's with Lester Holt or somebody. And, and apparently, and I don't think this is really a, a great thing. I, again, didn't really appreciate what she did during the campaign. I thought she really behaved and acted unprofessionally. And I just, I just didn't like it. But I also pointed out that when she leaves Fox News, she's not going to have m- much of another place to go, mainly because as much as she didn't want to be associated with Fox News, perhaps, everybody else associated her with Fox News. So she was Fox News. So, so regardless of whether or not she might have scored some points for being anti-Trump or what have you, the people who were out there outside of Fox News weren't giving her those points. And so that's why when she went to NBC, she had such a hard time because people still associated with her, her with Fox News and beyond. And so it became kind of an issue for her, and it's why her ratings all that weren't all all that great. So it became kind of a thing and hurt her, I think. And now, unfortunately, now I do believe that enough time has passed that I think people can fairly utilize her. But now what's getting in the way? Well, I guarantee you Chris Matthews doesn't want her on his show a whole lot because she kind of presents a fresher kind of viewpoint, but also I think because she is going to be more fair, and I don't think they like that. And certainly Mika Brzezinski doesn't want Megyn Kelly anywhere near her, and she probably doesn't want Joe anywhere near Megyn Kelly. And then you have some of the other people out there in NBC land who just don't like Megyn Kelly or feel threatened by her, and so she's probably not being utilized to that degree, even though obviously, based on what I can see here, her uh, her what her point of view is is uh, is really it's straight and narrow. It's this is do or die for this uh, Dr. Ford, and and you know Kavanaugh has the right to face her. Uh, what happened is the Republicans and Kavanaugh all called this woman's bluff. And now suddenly she's hiding. Now suddenly she has uh, slinked away into the night. And I think that's why they thought that maybe this was going to lead to Kavanaugh just giving up. But Kavanaugh didn't just give up because that wasn't going to be what he's doing. He wasn't going to give in. They wanted him to, which is why they waited until the last hour. But in the meantime, uh, as Megyn Kelly insinuated there, she said, listen, there are a lot of sexual assault victims who come up, and, and actually it's kind of like their duty they, in, in their own mind to, to say something and, and, and be loud about what happened to them because it helps other 
victims. It helps other people to come forward and say, hey, look what happened with the Me Too movement. I mean, there were some really legitimate cases where women were abused. I mean, it was it was stomach turning, even watching those tapes with Weinstein and everything else. And so as much as sometimes the Me Too movement gets a little tiresome for some people who are utilizing it in the wrong way, it still did create a lot of ability of people to throw out some of the garbage. And so Weinstein and Les Moonves and Louis C.K. and some of these other guys were finally held to account for things they were doing kind of behind the scenes that they never had to account for. So you have to admit some aspects of the Me Too movement were were good because it, it, it empowered some people who were truly attacked and truly abused to come forward. And so as Megyn Kelly points out, uh, victims do this all the time in courtrooms and everything else, and they come out and say, this happened to me, this is BS, and I want something done about it. Instead, what you have is you have a Dr. Ford who 36 years later, it's been 36 years, and she, she says she finally wants to talk about it, but then she did talk about it in July with Feinstein, but apparently it wasn't serious enough for her to bring it up right away. I mean, how demeaning is that to other potential sexual assault victims that a woman claims she was almost raped and felt like she was going to die, but can wait six weeks to tell about it? How is, how is that credible? Yeah, I felt like I was going to die. Oh, really? Yeah, I'll talk about that in six weeks. It's like, um, really? Yeah, I, I'm, I'll wait a little, little longer. Okay, it's been 36 years. Well, I can wait six weeks more. Why? Well, I'm being told by Diane Feinstein and some of the others that it'll have more impact in the week before a vote, which is exactly what they're doing. And so this woman is not only, in my opinion, and it looks like in Megan's opinion, demeaning herself, she's also allowing herself to be demeaned and used and that just isn't a good thing. And her story is falling apart. It's one of the reasons why they maybe didn't come out with it six weeks ago, because it didn't have any any legs. It didn't have enough steam to get to, to stay up there. Like I compared it to the lead balloon earlier. That's kind of what this is. And so they figured, well, they can get the the lead balloon maybe to float just because it's a balloon just for a little while. But then it plummets to the ground, and that's exactly what's happening uh, to her story here. Did you guys see this in, in the in the post dispatch? They have the, uh, the, the this is this doesn't sound right to me, and, and it's it's really it, and it's really another example of uh, what a disgrace the post is, and why we really do need another newspaper in this town. And it's not the St. Louis American, by the way. So we have uh, this eyesore, which is uh, in a place called State Park Place. It's a one-story vacant building. Uh, initially, there were spray-painted tags for Hispanic gangs appearing on this vacant one-story building in State Park Place, which is right near Cahokia Mounds. Then a few weeks later, another layer would appear 
and these would be swastikas, Nazi symbols, racial slurs against Hispanics, and big black letters reading Trump. So, so now they're starting to call it uh, Trump Tower. And the Post-Dispatch is all the more willing to call it uh, Trump Tower. And you can tell it just is, uh, is such a load of crap. The layers of spray paint on the building, some locals started to call Trump Tower, have been a mainstay in the neighborhood for at least five years. Uh, been cleaned up before, only to be tagged again. This time, no one painted over the graffiti. So apparently the Post-Dispatch didn't really care about this when it was Hispanic gang graffiti and that kind of stuff. But now uh, they want to call it Trump Tower just because they can. That's what you're getting in the, in the post-disgrace. It's interesting uh, when the newspaper business is a different kind of uh, competition. It's, it's a different kind of animal. And we've had a lot of these newspapers across the country enter into what's called joint operating agreements. So, for instance, in Detroit, you had a situation where you had a, uh, you had a, a newspaper that was in the morning and a newspaper that was in the evening. And you had a situation where uh, one of them was tr- troubled. I mean, it was it was it, it's hard. Newspapers just with the, with the onset of uh, of uh, you know your iPhone and your computers and everything else, just newspapers have become uh, dinosaurs. There are very few people who still actually get them. Some people do uh, get them delivered, and I, I understand that. That's the way. And some people love the. Uh, idea of just kind of touching a newspaper, having a newspaper in their their hands, uh, and and you know that that's the that's the deal. But with the post disgrace, it's a different story. Uh, they actually wound up, and and it's not directly, but they wound up actually buying the Globe Democrat, uh, and, and and instead of keeping the Globe Democrat alive, which was a morning paper, and the Post was an evening paper. Instead of keeping the Globe Democrat alive, they basically helped, aided. It's a complicated story, so it's not only the post disgrace's fault, but uh, they they instead of keeping the uh, the Globe alive, where we'd have two newspapers in town, they paved the way to shut the Globe Democrat down, and it's it really is not a decent way to operate, especially if you're the uh, the Post-Dispatch and you want it to be, you, you're standing for the First Amendment and our so-called fourth estate and our institutions, but then you turn around and when, when you have a little competition, you shut it down. And the reason why you're getting the kind of drivel, libel, and crap slung in that horrible newspaper known as the Post-Disgrace is because they don't have any competition. So they can cover a story any way they want to or not cover a story, and they don't have any accounting at all. And they just go ahead and and say whatever they want to say, do whatever they want to do, and there's not another paper in town to either out-hustle them or to present a different point of view or what have you. So they basically have the run of the place. And then what happens is uh, they you have all the 
the the the TV people who grab all their stories out of the Post Dispatch and don't really bother to come up with their own stories, and the Post has all that much more power. And I, and also when the Post Dispatch was uh, was tied up with Channel Two and had that relationship in KTRS, how do you think they treated ninety seven one and Jamie Allman and the Allman Report? Well, of course, I mean they had a vested interest in pairing up with somebody else and they had no competition and that's how they that's how they work this stuff so they could do whatever they damn well please and and that's the problem now i'm not quite sure we're at the point now where even a another newspaper would help we all have our ways of getting uh different points of view and, and different ways to get our information so we've learned to be able to go around uh the whole thing and the post disgrace is something we don't have to really deal with or have to really worry about uh because we can just get information from other other sources you can listen to radio free almond or do whatever you want to do and you're getting the different take on it but with the post disgrace it's a different story they just think they have the run of the place but eventually uh, they die off now would i want the post disgrace to collapse no, I, I, I want more voices. I don't want fewer voices. I'm not the Post-Dispatch that wants fewer voices. I'm not, I'm not the left wing that wants to limit voices here. I want more voices. I say the more papers, the better. You libel me, I'm going to sue you, but the more papers, the better. It's, it's always more money for me because I've got two newspapers in St. Louis who are going to pay me. But that's, that's great. But, I mean, but, but it's, it's, it's more... More money for me. But the bottom line is I, I would never want the, the thing to close. But you, you can see. But that's how things work. For instance, look at what's happening already with CNN and MSNBC. You're starting to see kind of a shift in some of their coverage. You're starting to see some people on MSNBC telling Ali Velshi, hey, uh, dude, you can't really be in a situation like this where you are uh, just simply – acting as if you are um, somehow – you can't just make assumptions about what President Trump is doing here and this is all faked and staged and everything else. That's somebody on MSNBC telling Ali, hey, dude, pipe down. You have Megyn Kelly on MSNBC. Hey, how about a little fairness here about what's happening with all this thing? You have Jake Tapper every once in a while coming out with a, a nugget. You have Allison Camerata actually – questioning the lawyer for Dr. Ford and being pretty fair about it. Well, that's what happens when you lost 42% of your audience over a year because of Don Lemon. I mean, that's kind of how this whole thing works. So competition is good. It keeps people on their toes, and it definitely keeps people uh, people uh, guessing. Did you see, by the way, the, uh, the story about Beto – O'Rourke. So he goes in front of this group of individuals. This is uh, a, uh, at, at a consortium of sorts, at a, at a, at a town hall event. And he is, uh, of course, running against Ted Cruz. And right now, the Senate seat it's, is said to be up for grabs. But again, I don't care what these individuals say or do or the polls, what the polls say, I just don't believe Texans are going to send a left-wing dude like 
Beto O'Rourke to the U.S. Senate over Ted Cruz. I don't see it happening. I guess technically in the end, and it could to a certain degree. Now, keep in mind, this is going to be a little hard to hear. It's a little muffled, but he is uh, a, a, a black person asked him, and he's a congressman, by the way, if he supported illegal aliens being given U.S. citizenship despite breaking the country's immigration laws. So uh, that's, a, that's a reasonable question. And uh, this, is, this is what he <laughs> said to the – I mean, I can't believe he said this, but this is what he said. So it's, it's about two minutes. I'll walk you through it. It's kind of hard to hear, but it's pretty amazing what his response is. Uh, as you know, black Americans required the 14th Amendment of the Constitution to become citizens after hundreds of years of being here, building and defending the nation. My question is, do you support granting citizenship and American-paid benefits to illegal aliens who violate our country to come here, who fly their flags, their foreign flags here, who have citizenship in their countries and whose families absolutely did not build this country? Now, keep in mind, black Americans, when they are truthful and able to speak about this, they don't really believe that the United States immigration policy is helping them in any way, shape, or form. And in fact, uh, the numbers pretty clearly show that the people who are suffering most because of the influx of illegal aliens are indeed black Americans and and also uh, young black people who have college educations in the technical fields as well are getting burned by the uh, by the influx of the uh, tech visas and everything else that people are abusing so uh, but but black Americans have been the ones suffering more greatly than others at the hands of illegal aliens and so they're they're concerned about it it's 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 a pretty big issue in the black community when you actually when 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 members of the black community are able to speak up and talk about it. It's a it's a pretty pretty big issue. So this guy asks, you know, what do you think about this, and do you think that these illegal aliens should be given U.S. citizenship despite breaking the country's laws? Seems to be a pretty reasonable question. And uh, be told. Those are the things that you explained before. You can answer yes or no, please. <laughs> Thank you for the question. Thank you for the question. Um, it's kind of hard to hear. I'll walk you through it. Many, many people built this country. First of all. And we are a country of many people. So he's saying, he, he's saying, Immigrants built this country, and I guess he said even illegal ones built this country, which I guess he's assuming that the pilgrims were illegal immigrants. I guess that's what he's trying to say. I've heard kind of that blow. Uh, um, it was put far more eloquently and powerfully than I could, and I'm paraphrasing Congressman Lewis at this point, but he said something to the effect that, that each of us came to this country in a different ship. Some of us came here against our will. Some, some of us immigrated here lawfully. Some of us, you know, works five generations ago were fleeing 
famine in Ireland. There was no other country that would take us in but this country, and this is where we came. Some of us are showing up right now as we speak. They're, they're fleeing the deadliest countries in the planet today. The, the Northern Triangle countries of Central America, Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador. Imagine how bad things have to be for you to scoop up that six-month-old daughter of yours and to walk 2,000 miles somewhere on top of the refuge in a country that is comprised of people from the world over. And yes, there, there are some people who did not follow our laws when they came here to, to be with their families or to work jobs, and in some cases, no one was willing to work in their communities. I mentioned going to high school in Roscoe. I also went to the cotton gin in Roscoe. And at that cotton gin, there are 24 jobs, and the manager of that gin says, it does not matter the wages that I pay, or the number of hours that we set in the work week, I can find no one born in Roscoe or Sweetwater or Texas or this. Did you hear the words cotton gin in Beto O'Rourke's statement? Now, unfortunately, I mean, he's holding a microphone, but uh, but and I'm sure the cleaner audio is somewhere out there. And believe me. If it's somewhere out there, you got to know that Senator Ted Cruz and his campaign are going to find it one way or the other. So he said basically that that they are the cotton pickers of today. I all uh, I mentioned going to the high school in Roscoe. I also went to the cotton gin in Roscoe. And at that cotton gin, there are 24 jobs, and the manager of that gin says, it does not matter the wages that I pay or the number of hours that we set. No one born in Roscoe or Texas or this country is willing to work. So he was like, wait a minute. Um, you got to understand that, uh, that, that illegal aliens are today's cotton pickers. We couldn't survive without them. That's unbelievable that a guy who wants to run for the U.S. Senate is saying something like that, but it's highly believable given that he is a Democrat. Because how many times have you heard people like Barack Obama go, say, who's going to make our hotel beds? Who's going to leave that chocolate on the pillow for us when we come back from dinner? You know, who's who's going to clean the toilets on the trains? You know, that, and that's, that's the kind of attitude you get about the about illegal immigrants because because people like Barack Obama, these these left wingers out there look at illegal immigrants as just kind of a modern day kind of slave trade, a subculture. And as I've said before, and I'll say it again, the it is immoral to have a group of individuals here whose only tie, only link to this country is a modest paycheck and nothing else. And and when they are not citizens or when they when they are just kind of existing as your hotel bed makers and and that's how you view them, that doesn't seem to be very moral to me. And so uh, I I I take it from that standpoint that the amorality of the support of illegal immigrants and then, of course, also the encouragement of them to come here is always very much in evidence 
when a liberal speaks about it and speaks about it in a tone that where they think people aren't listening or that they're just going to accept. And so there are a lot of uh, much like much like. Barack Obama is an elitist and, 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 you know, his kids would, would never, you know, he wouldn't catch them. They wouldn't be caught dead at at a, at a public school. And I don't send my kids to public school either, but I also don't sit there and, 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 uh, claim that I'm, I'm just this guy who will send my kids anywhere and, and other people shouldn't have the choice. And that's what the anti-choice people say. What I'm saying is all these guys, including some uh, of our liberal white friends, talk about illegal immigrants this way. Who's going to pick our strawberries? Who's going to make our hotel beds? Who's going to clean our toilets? Who's going to – I mean, it's like who's going to cut our lawns? It's like, wow, that's, that's really how you uh, – that, that's, that's uh, really how you feel about these people? Anyway, I'm going to give uh, Jimmy Hoff the call here. Hang on. Let me just give him uh, – Oh, I hope I'm not going to wake him up. I don't think I am. I think I gave him a heads up. I'm going to call him. The Gateway Pundit. I didn't make it out to that thing over the weekend. I heard it was great. The Eagle Forum thing. It's getting hot. And it's 82 degrees in the studio right now. I'm, just letting know. I'm not complaining. Good morning. Hey, uh, Jim Hoff, the Gateway Pundit. What's going on, brother? How you doing, Jamie? I'm doing great. Did you I'm pretty see, good? Uh, and, and I'm glad everything went really well over the weekend with the uh, Eagle Forum. I saw uh, the Eagle uh, Conference. I saw uh, a lot of stuff on tape. I I was really kind of in kids' athletics land. I mean, I was at uh, volleyball games, soccer games, tennis matches, football games. That's pretty what, much what my my life was over the weekend. So I wish I was I got a chance to make it, but I but I heard uh, such great things about it. So I, I appreciate that, and I, I think things went really well for you guys. Uh, you know, it ended up being a really good weekend, and we had some pretty big names come into St. Louis um, all at one time, which was great. Some fan favorites, as you know. I know you're a friend with Pamela Geller. She came in, and she's always fun. She's just. Uh, you know, she has a lot of energy. She's funny, and she's probably the most courageous woman I've ever met. Boy, uh, so she came in, and yeah, and James O'Keefe came in. He was uh, he actually uh, previewed one of his videos with me um, when he was here, which was very cool. Uh, in fact, he just uh, sent me his latest installment this morning of his deep state investigation, and uh, I just put that up at the Gateway Pundit, but. Uh, what he's done this week then is he's uh, decimated the deep state, these different organizations, the uh, Department of Justice, State Department, and this morning, the GAO, um, with these uh, open communists who are working in our government and thwarting President Trump's agenda and bragging about how they're slow, slow walking uh, the president. And uh, James O'Keefe has a video. And the uh, State Department and the DOJ have spoken out about this already, saying they're going to investigate. And uh, so James, of course, is doing the work of uh, 10 uh, investigative journalists at once with, with his project this week. It's really been very good to watch. So James was here. Uh, some, some grassroots favorites, uh, Mike Cernovich came in, uh, Jack Posobiec. They have very huge... Uh, 
uh, Twitter accounts. A lot of people follow them. They break a lot of news. Uh, Mike Cernovich especially was uh, very helpful during the election, big Trump guy. Um, then we had Tony Schaefer, the, the foreign policy expert. Steve Moore came from Washington, D.C. He was supposed to speak with the president, and they canceled it because of the hurricane. So then he flew out last minute to be with us. We had Charlie Kirk came in who gave a dynamite talk, and Stefan Molyneux from Canada came down. He has a huge following. A lot of people support him, and uh, you know, wherever, he ta- wherever he speaks, he brings in a crowd. So that was good. And uh, then we had a couple of uh, uh, lawmakers from Europe, one from Poland, one from Germany. These are right-wing lawmakers discussing what's going on there, which is always interesting. Um, and especially to those of us who are watching, uh, uh, old Europe, just, uh, you know, commit suicide, uh, yeah. sort of like the Democrats in this country. So they spoke, uh, about, uh, what was going on there. And, uh, uh, we had several other speakers. It was just a, it was a great event. Um, so I, I was really glad to be part of it. I think it turned out really well. The feedback we got was tremendous. So, and, and Jamie, you'll appreciate this. Because we've we've both had experiences with uh, CPAC, and uh, you know CPAC is a kind of pay for play thing yeah, now. It's right. in Washington D.C. It's uh, you know it brings in people. You're like, how the hell did they get on stage? <laughs> it ignores most of the grassroots people. So this was. I'm not going to say it's a counter to CPAC. I'm not going to be that bold or uh, you know uh, egotistical. But it, if what it was was a, a, a grassroots. Uh, type of a uh, convention we put on, and that felt real good. Yeah. So wh- wh- uh, I want to get back to James uh, O'Keefe real quickly, but 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 what about CPAC? So you guys, so you and Pamela, are you guys going to actually then go back there, or what are you what are you going to do? You know, I spoke about this because um, I was on a panel with Pamela, and this year, as you know. Um, uh, we were set to speak at CPAC, and I got to tell you, Pamela could write a book on how they treated her. Those people at CPAC, and I'm going to go out and say these aren't these aren't good people running that outfit. Uh, the way they uh, hassled Pamela, the way they s- slow walked her, and stalled, and wouldn't tell her she had her panel till like three days before the event, and then. Uh, uh, when uh, the Gateway Pundit, we broke this story about David Hogg and how David Hogg, his father was in the FBI, this kid that's already that's showing up on, you know, in every, every talk show on the left, speaking out against guns. Uh, we also pointed to one video where it looked like he was being coached, which 90% of the country would agree. The kid looked like he was being coached because he was being coached. And uh, CPAC kicked me off the panel because I put that up and, Right um, on Gateway Pundit, and it was a big fiasco. And by the way, Jamie, it was the only post this year that Facebook allowed to go viral for Gateway Pundit. We used to have posts every other day that would go viral. Since the election, Facebook has cracked down on Gateway Pundit. They won't allow any of our stories to go out. Unbelievable. So uh, this, was the, this was the one they allowed to go out because, of course, it damaged us. Uh, in the eyes of the left, in the eyes of sane Americans, uh, there was nothing wrong with the post. And I, I still stand by the post. I've reposted it before yeah, um, because it was completely accurate. Um, but we got kicked out of CPAC for that. And Pamela stood by my side when that happened. 
And she told them, uh, if Jim Hoff, it won't be on the panel, I'm not going to go on this panel. And Jamie, uh, to have a friend like that, I'm telling you, if I have three or four friends like that in my life, it's a successful life. She's just a, incredible, you know? And so she stepped off this panel and, uh, but they treated her really bad, really bad. And that's not the first time I've heard from a lot of people. And it's generally the grassroots of people with a lot of following, a lot of backing out here in the Midwest, you know, in, in, uh, in the middle of America who, who get the shaft and they certainly gave it to me and Pamela and we have, I certainly have no intention of kissing any butt to get back in that platform, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. there's, you know what I'm yeah. saying? I mean, they treated me worse and then they put out a statement saying, we don't know why this guy would ever get invited. I'm like, really? Gateway Pundit was the fourth most influential conservative website in the country in 2016, helping Donald Trump. The fourth, according to Harvard. Okay. And they don't want anything to do with us. I have no intention of going back with those creeps. What an awful thing to say. No doubt. Right? Yeah, well, because really, they, they were, even in the very beginning, they're just now, they, they basically are an arm of the National Review, posing as some kind of off-the-grid, independent conservatives. And the reality is they, they, they decided to go after you, or at least do things to you, because they could. Uh, and, and they had the, the, the most power over that. Much like the, much like the Washington Post would want to go after you. They don't, they don't want your information out there because it just puts a mirror up to them and their inefficiencies and their lack of adherence to constitutional principles and beyond. So no wonder they didn't, they didn't want you around. And, you know, to, to uh, as an example of the, of the kinds of things that you do, and, and in the end, Jimmy Hoft, uh, it does matter because it, it, it hurts you when you can't get your message out. I mean, this is what you do. So it, so it does matter. Uh, and, 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 and so that's why we have to fight what we fight. So if you look at, for instance, the right. gateway pundit this morning, you're, I'm already seeing four or five stories that I know I won't even see. I might see them on Breitbart maybe, but I definitely, I won't see them on hot air. I won't see them on these other places that are mere extensions of the national review and, and the Jeff Flake wing of the party uh, I, I won't see them like for instance the the uh, news that uh, uh, dr ford published eight studies about the abortion pill and worked for a company that produces it and and so she's really what in the end just an, an abortion activist aside from being a uh, pussy hat wearing uh, never trumper and so we're starting to see where her kind of motivations are lying here. And, of course, her activism now against Trump and for abortion is now intersecting, in my opinion, with this false claim against Kavanaugh. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm I she also graduated the same year as Gorsuch and Gorsuch and this uh, Kavanaugh went to the same prep school, Georgetown Prep. Um, there's a lot of rumblings that there's other things going on behind the scene, but, uh, yeah, this woman, uh, it's just so ridiculous. She doesn't know what happened. She doesn't know when it happened. She doesn't know who was there. She doesn't know if there was four men, two men, uh, three men already said we had nothing. To, we don't know. We have no idea what she's talking about. She, uh, she said originally there was no women. Now there's one woman who might've been there. She doesn't know what she, what the hell she's talking about. How in the hell is the FBI going to investigate this? And, uh, I saw, I read a, something on Rush Limbaugh and he, he's right. If you, if you had any crackpot go to uh, 
any law, you know, police department or the FBI and say, you know, something happened 36 years ago, might've been 35 years ago. I'm not sure where it happened. Um, not sure who was there. Um, but it happened and I want to press charges. They would laugh her out of the office because it's ridiculous, you know, and that's not saying anything about the charges. Of course, none of us support abuse of women or men. Um, none none of us are for that. But also, none of us are for false accusations, and none of us are for flimsy accusations that sh- that shouldn't even be uh, given the half the uh, notoriety that these charges have brought uh, against this this Kavanaugh. Um, Jamie, I went to Catholic schools. You went to Catholic schools. Um, I just think it's awful what's happening here, and I think the lesson too, once again, is the leftist warning. Good people on the right. If you if you stick your neck out, this is what's going to happen to you. Yeah, and uh, I, yeah, it's just an awful situation. Well, if you look um, at the situation, Jimmy, though, too, where where it's clear that she came forward in July, and then uh, took a polygraph in August, and so they waited six weeks to even drop this thing. So it was clearly a ploy. Now, whether it was her idea to be to to use her allegation this way, or the Democrats' idea. I don't know. Either way, as Megyn Kelly even admitted uh, and said on Chris Matthews' show, Hardball, which I was kind of surprised to see. You and I have, you and I have had a lot of fun with Megyn Kelly over the past uh, couple of years. <laughs> but she knocked one out of the park with Chris Matthews, and she said it's time for her to step up. And, and you know, most women, when they are assaulted, uh, they step forward. They do it every day in courtrooms and beyond. And so this, in the end, is kind of, uh, in my opinion, demeaning to women and even to, to real sexual assault victims when you use something as serious as this as a political ploy. And, and, and what happened, too, is that for six weeks, uh, her story wasn't heard. If it was that big of a deal, why wouldn't it have been? Why wouldn't she have allowed it to be? And why wouldn't she have pushed it to be? Uh, you can't just sit there and go, you know, I was almost raped and I felt like maybe I'd be murdered. But you know what? I'll just talk about that in six weeks right before the vote. It doesn't make any sense. Right. Right. Absolutely. This uh, again, it's it's uh, there's no credibility as far as uh, any evidence and anyone who's been around who, who she said she suggested was a. Uh, there have, have they've spoken out and said this never happened. So yeah, I mean, um, again, uh, it, you know, it's just uh, we're going to see. I think there's a couple of key issues. One is uh, what is uh, Senator Feinstein hiding? Why won't she give the original letter over? There's a lot of speculation behind that. Um, and the other thing is why won't this woman come testify if she's been so? You know, if I understand that people can have memories and can have feelings of abuse and it's not clear yes you know what exactly happened because it's 36 years ago um but um uh that doesn't mean you ruin somebody's life because of that when you're unsure about all the facts well um, it's horrible what? for these, these things happen when they're people are children it's awful but it's also awful to ruin somebody's life off of some accusations that you're not even sure of yeah, and, and boy, they, they, they really did call the bluff of the Democrats and Dr. Ford, and they don't know what to do now. I mean, you have uh, 
uh, Hirino or whatever the hell her name is from Hawaii now cussing up a blue streak. She just doesn't know what to do with herself. And so that's the position they're in right now. It's, it's been fun to watch these people implode because they're trapped. They don't know what to do. There's Kavanaugh ready to go ahead and tell it like it is. But you know what's interesting, too? When you say ruin a guy's life, people don't realize that, that, uh, that this would ruin his life because, first of all, if you, if you, if you, if you are voted down – to be on the Supreme Court because of a sexual assault allegation, there's no way, if you're rejected for the highest court in the land, that you can stay on the second highest court in the land, which is where he is. It, it wouldn't make any sense. And so there's right. a lot at stake here, totally. Hey, oh, but, there is, yeah. Uh, and this guy's been through six different times. He's gone through uh, the uh, process where they've looked at everything from his life from first grade on. So the fact this is popping up now... Uh, you can have your own thoughts about it, yeah. but I certainly feel it's a political ploy. All right, so back to James O'Keefe. Yesterday, I was expressing concern about the fact that it doesn't seem like, like, I mean, this is all in black and white. I mean, these people, their faces are not covered. Their names are out there. They are on tape. Their lips are moving. The sound is coming out of their mouths. And they're bragging about how they can't be fired and they're using uh, government time to do all this kind of activist work. And I was wondering, why isn't anybody picking up on this? As you point out, James O'Keefe doing the work of, you know, 18 investigative journalists at a, at, 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 on all the networks. And I was wondering what was going on. And then suddenly yesterday, uh, Jeff Sessions says, OK, uh, this thing got my attention. I'm going to I'm going to. Uh, go after this and, and figure out what's going on here. So finally, we're getting some degree of action on this, it looks like. No, it's nice to see Jeff Sessions crawl out from under his desk and, and do something. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's my thought. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that about Jeff. Uh, he's certainly been absent most of the, you know, since Trump was inaugurated. So that's that's good news. Yeah, no doubt. It's about time. And so I, I know that they're going to be looking at this. And then finally, it uh, looks like Claire McCaskill has come out as a uh, – uh, no vote on Brett Kavanaugh, but it, it depends on, on, on who you listen to. You have a, a soundbite up here uh, where uh, it looks like she's maybe talking about how uh, it, it is because of the allegations, but I had understood in other publications that she said it wasn't because of those. So what's the, what's the deal with this? Oh, uh I, I think now she's saying that she's not going to vote for him because uh, something about he supports dark money in politics, oh. which is very rich coming from Claire McCaskill, right? Yeah. Because of uh, her and her, uh, the, the reports that her, her husband took $131 million in, in handouts, uh, subsidies or handouts. So, yeah, that's, that's uh, amazing that Claire would go there. She has a lot of... Uh, uh, you know, guts to, to come out with that excuse. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. I was uh, talking with somebody from the Democrat side about this race, and the Democrats, interestingly enough, have a, a point of view on this uh, where they think that the 45-45, the latest CBS poll showing Hawley and McCaskill tied, they think it's bad news for her that she has as an incumbent Democrat, only 45% that she's tied. I told this person, though, I said, I got news for you, though. In our circles, on the conservative end, we think this is bad news for Josh Hawley in a, in a state 
that it has voted right. 19% in favor of President Trump and with a woman who can directly be tied to the policies of Obama that Missourians rejected in 2016, Hawley really ought to be running away with this. And so the fact that he's tied is disturbing to us. I agree with you 100%. I, um, I, I wish you would reach out. I don't, has, has he been on your show, Jamie? No, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish you would reach out to some of the people who have voices in the state. I know with Gateway Pundit, we're, uh, I believe we're, we have more traffic than the Post-Dispatch, the largest oh, yeah. publication in the state. And um, uh, the fact that he hasn't reached out to us, it's, it's, a, it's a bit upsetting. I'm kind of questioning what's, what's going on. Maybe he thinks he doesn't need the grassroots. I don't, is, is, that, is that it? I'm not sure. Um, he's probably listening to some advisors. Um, but uh, I also have spoken, by the way, with several uh, local activists who are friends of both of ours. Um, and uh, they're not hearing anything from him either. So. Uh, he has a different plan to win, and I hope it works. I'm not a fan of Claire McCaskill, but it is a bit disappointing that he doesn't want to, you know, uh, reach out to some of the the local leaders who could really help him. Yeah, I mean, and I've, I I haven't just been sitting him waiting for him to call me. I, I've actually had a I had, had discussions with people he works with, saying, "Hey, I would like to get him on the air," but I think he's he's falling into the same trap that a lot of Republicans have fallen into, and they just don't think that they need us because we're going to already vote Republican anyway. And the, and the sad fact is, at least with me, he's right. I'll, I'll vote for him uh, and, and, uh, because I, I, I think it, there's, there are things that are more important uh, out there uh, than just my personal right. uh, thoughts. And so I will vote for him. So maybe to that degree he's accurate about that. But there are a lot of people out there who are still – not really happy with how this whole thing went down and, and what happened to the grassroots here. Uh, and so I don't think he can really rely on those people. Some people will just, I mean, listen, if you're, if you're the Missouri GOP and you're down at a county fair or a state fair and you can't even bring yourself to put a Trump sign out there, uh, that's a problem. And people are going to rebel against that. And if it means some just sitting and watching Josh Hawley get swamped, uh, then there are some people who will do just that. I I didn't hear about that. If that's true, that's very disturbing, you know, and it shows you uh, how much the party elites are out of touch with uh, the, the voters here in Missouri. And you're, you're right. Uh, when when uh, Obama first went in office, Missouri was a swing state, a battle state. It was pretty even split. By the time Obama left office, Trump won by 20 points. So where the hell is the support for Trump? And uh, these guys better uh, get it together. I hope they do, because I don't want to see McCaskill back in there. But um, it is disappointing. Like you said, I spoke to all these, I, you know, several, several friends of ours. They haven't heard a word. So yeah. uh, he has a different strategy. I hope it changes. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, even a after what happened with me, and, and it's why I have, you know, you really do kind of learn who you're, Friends are after this kind of stuff happens, as, as, as you well know, too, when, when the going got tough, when you would initially come out for President Trump and the nominee and, you, you know, you were raked over the coals by these uh, conservocrats. But, I, 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 you know, after the thing happened with me, you, you figured it out fast who, who returns your phone calls and who, who, who doesn't call you or whatever. And 
Uh, like you take a guy like Roy Blunt, who I haven't heard from since, and and, uh, and but but I know that come twenty twenty or, or what, no twenty twenty I don't know, whenever he's up for reelection again, I know I'll hear from him because I I helped him get reelected. Uh, you know, sure. and 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 even met him and his wife, you know, at a hotel lobby to give him advice on on dealing with a, a, a pretty tough race he was in because he was kind of in a in a tough race. He was a little worried about it, uh, and you know, and, and he was running against Jason and everything else. And I was and I, I gave him some advice. So I helped and I and went down to events uh, for him all over the all over the state, and and I even heard hide nor hair of the guy from the guy. So it's kind of like, okay, I'm sure you'll call me when you, when, when, when you're running again. And that's, the, and that's the problem. People are kind of getting tired of that. I think so. I think that's part of the Trump phenomena. Yeah. You know, it's uh the people, uh, he spoke directly to the people and, uh, that's why he, uh, still is very popular with his supporters because he's getting it done. And, uh, he continues to speak to the common man. Uh, and, uh, it's very appealing. No doubt, buddy. And you've done some great work, and, and thegatewaypundit.com is where all of you can go. And, and I believe me, I, I'm, I'm watching people on Facebook and on my Facebook feed, uh, Jimmy, and uh, they just love hearing from you, love you, and, and uh, we just appreciate all that you do out there, and uh, thanks for spending your time with us. Thanks, Jamie. All right, brother. You have a good, good rest of your week. Jimmy Hoff, the Gateway Pundit, people gatewaypundit.com you know I'm not a bitter person at all so I just I bring that Roy Blunt thing up because it's it's really kind of confounding to me sometimes what you gonna do what you gonna do what you gonna do what y'all gonna do what you gonna do I don't know what you gonna do. What y'all gonna do? What are the odds makers are saying about the Kavanaugh confirmation? No big thing. I think it's gonna work. I think everybody's butts are tightening over there in no Democrat land. Because things seem to be falling apart. Right in front of our very eyes, my friend. Good morning, this morning. Did you see the story about the dude? You know, you, know, you want to hear from You want to, uh, you really want to hear from Joy Behar again? I don't think you do. Brett Kavanaugh is probably guilty. Hang on. I'm having volume issues here. Hang on, let me just turn. Let me turn Love is the Drug off for a second so we can hear from this dingbat. These white men, old, by the way, are not protecting women. They're protecting a man who is probably guilty. If you're not uh, Judge Kavanaugh, take the lie detector test. Yeah. Prove it the way she did and the way Anita Hill did. That so she did. First of all, those lie detector tests. And can somebody please explain to me the old, the, the 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 race factor here in in the old white men thing? 
I mean, could someone tell me like what the issues are that these people who are using the term old white men, what, what is it that they actually have under their skin about the skin color of people there? And it's interesting how uh, it's okay to be an old white man when you're a Democrat because, believe me, uh, there are more prominent old white men currently slinging the crap about President Trump and lying to minorities and everything else. There are plenty of those in the Democratic Party right now. I mean, you, you uh, let's see, Bernie Sanders, the old white man. You have uh, Joe Biden. He's a pretty old white man, don't you think? You, you, you've got... Uh, John Kerry? John Kerry seems to be kind of uh, old and white. But I guess if you're old and white, the only way you piss off people like Joy Behar is if you happen to be Republican. That must be it. Jerry Brown, the governor of California, he's an old white dude. I don't know. I thought, I thought people like old white. I mean, NBC, MSNBC loves this old white man, Jerry Brown. Because he's talking about uh, it was a governor. Trump. How do you feel when the president of the United States says Andrea Mitchell loves this old white man? So Andrea, old white men can't be all that bad, correct? Correct. Nearly three thousand people did not die in Puerto Rico, even though it was the result of a scientific study, and says that it was a democratic conspiracy to claim all these deaths. Well, the problem is we uh, we never had a president. Uh, who is engaged in this kind of behavior. I mean, he's not telling the truth. He keeps changing his mind. He's, uh, you know, sabotaging the the world uh, order in many respects. So it's unprecedented. It's dangerous. And uh, hopefully this election is going to send a strong message to the country. The Democrats will win. And then Trump, uh, well, something's got to happen to this guy. Yeah, no, well, he's, he's old, but he's still having wet dreams, apparently. So... Still having li- those little, those little dreams that, that take you places where uh, you think you want to go. So there's Jerry Brown fantasizing about the fact that the uh, the Democrats are going to take over, based on President Trump questioning a questionable study about three thousand people dying in Puerto Rico. Speaking of Puerto Rico, you want to hear uh, the Puerto Rican governor? dressed down Jorge Ramos, the anchor there at Telemundo. I'm sorry, Univision. i got to get these guys straight. So they interviewed the governor of Puerto Rico, and uh, they were talking Governador, about this. Me, me quedo un minuto y le quisiera preguntar lo siguiente. Governor, I've got a minute left, and I'd like to ask you... ¿Se arrepiente usted de esa conferencia de prensa en San Juan cuando I'm el presidente Donald Trump pregunta cuántos muertos hay? Usted le dice... Yes. Uh, I'm trying to ask you where the president, Donald Trump, asked how many fatalities there were, and you told him 16. I'm pretty good at this, aren't I? Yeah, see, I know a little Spanish. No, get subtitles. Shh. Many feel, Governor, that you took a very submissive attitude towards uh, President Trump. He's talking to the governor of Puerto Rico, by the way. Trying to, be, trying to alpha male the governor of Puerto Rico. Tomó una actitud muy sumisa. Frente al presidente Donald Trump y que debió haberle exigido mucho más. Demanded 
should have demanded much more from him. Do you regret what happened at that uh, press conference? ¿Se arrepiente conference? de lo que ocurrió en esa conferencia? Yo, yo I understand, Jorge, that there are people with differing points eh, of view. Jorge, que so, hayan personas con distintos puntos de vista. Eh, mi trabajo como my gobernador job as governor is to receive the resources that allow me to serve our people, and particularly so after this devastation. Bien los recursos que me permitan servirle a nuestro pueblo y particularmente después de, de esta devastación. En aquel momento esa era la información que... This was information that we had back then. Subsequent to that, obviously, y a posterior a eso, obviamente, vimos que era un protocolo inadecuado y mi rol, pues, es identificar esos errores be able to remedy them. I'll move forward in the spirit of dialogue with the feds. Continue pointing out those things. Rommel says, to establish what is bad, Jorge, and I believe that gives me a different kind of credibility. Because in this environment, Jorge, you know, sometimes using Puerto Rico as a political football, you either try to articulate everything as being good or everything as being bad. This is important, and I'll close with this, Jorge. It's important to establish that there is a difference here because we are second-class citizens. We appreciate all that they're utilizing Puerto Rico that have Puerto Rico in their thoughts, if they want to resolve the problem at its root, then they have to eradicate the colony in Puerto Rico. And they have to validate the democratic desire of the people of Puerto Rico to transition to becoming a state of the union. Otherwise, we'll see what we're seeing now. Different responses. Texas, Florida. Response was in Puerto Rico. It's time for it's time for the U.S. to take a step forward. And so, basically, he said, "I'm not going to sit here and criticize President Trump, but you have to understand that we are a different thing than the state of Texas and the state of Florida." First of all, as he points out, even physically, they're, they're away from the mainland. So it's going to be hard. Remember, they, they had to, like, uh, bring these ships. Over. It was hard to bring the ships over there and get, get, and get food and all the resources to them. And their infrastructure was so poor, mainly because of some of the corrupt activities of the government officials there. Not this governor particularly, but the mayor of San Juan is under an FBI investigation. So there are all kinds of things that play into this particular issue. And he said, so I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to sit here and bash Donald Trump. We, we all had different information, different numbers and things like that. And just because Jorge Ramos and Andrea Mitchell and the rest of the gang took the last available number that was concocted two months ago, uh, doesn't mean it's the truth. Because there are more studies showing it was around 1,100 than there are studies showing it's at 3,000. I'm just saying. But that's the truth. Now, as to the state of Puerto Rico, which is now a territory, I actually fully agree with uh, this governor about, uh, about making Puerto Rico a state. I, I would totally be in favor of making Puerto Rico a state, uh, totally support making Puerto Rico a state, and uh, I think it's high time we do.
And so I, I'm, I'm all for I, – I don't see what necessarily the arguments are against it necessarily. Uh, territory sometimes can wind up being kind of weird as it is. And, and, and in, uh, invariably what happens is you wind up in that status where you're not necessarily going to be uh, – you're not going to get some of the same treatment you might get. If you were a state, that just kind of is the way it happens. And so this guy's saying, stop, you know, with your baloney about the 3,000, about this and about that. Uh, let's get into stuff that, that, that matters here. And that is, let's go ahead and see whether or not we, uh, we, can, we, can, we can make ourselves a state. And then maybe then we can talk about uh, this. But and he also points out they're not second-class citizens because they are Hispanic. They're second-class citizens because they're not a state. Uh, that, that needs to happen. Uh, they're, they're not a state. I'm going to play this for you one more time because I love this so much. Speaking of hurricane response. And then we're going to get to this guy who, uh, I don't know whether you heard about the uh, crowd funding uh the the gofundme page for this guy who was uh ridiculed for shaving on a train do you see that picture of that dude there's more to that story and also we have uh, a never trumper now uh, joining hillary clinton in a call to abolish the electoral college again abolishing the electoral college is sore losership to the 100th degree people advocating for that are nothing but sore losers. And I'll actually give you a great example of that on the Republican side, okay, in just a few. But anyway, this is Ali Velshi. He's on yesterday on MSNBC covering President Trump, who was handing out meals to the victims of Hurricane Florence there in New Bern, North Carolina. He's handing out these meals. Remember when he was in Puerto Rico, he was uh, he was a racist white pig because he was daring to throw and have a little fun with some of the Puerto Rican disaster victims by giving them goods and things like that. And uh, the soft bigotry of low expectations was out in force because, you know, to, for for some people to see a white guy giving a minority something. Uh, it's insulting somehow. I don't know why that is. But anyway, uh, this is President Trump giving meals to people who were hurricane victims, and they drive up, and President Trump was handing them some meals that, that uh, looked good, you know, and uh, it was uh, what they did. So Ali Velshi's on there. He's on there with a correspondence, a live shot with uh, Hans Nichols, and Ali is also on with Stephanie Rule, who is a co-anchor there. And I don't know about you, but when I hear this and see these sudden attacks of common sense on networks that generally aren't places you go for that, I'm always celebratory about it. And this was great. Ali Velshi, who is a lying hack, never Trumper over there at MSNBC, Ali Velshi, uh, finally, he gets he gets hammered by not one, but two people on the air with him over his comments claiming that this is all just staged and Trump isn't really helping and everything else. Listen, take a listen, people, will you please? Thank what you. we're seeing here is the president uh, seems to be in front of cars. He's then handing meals to people. I assume uh, that someone has vetted this. One has to assume these are not random cars coming up to the president who are, and then people are getting food. They're, this, is, this is somehow staged. 
Well, I wouldn't be so certain about that. Now, word of mouth could have spread, but there was a tight hold on where the president's movements would be. This is what, in Secret Service talk, they say is an OTR, an off the record. So it isn't on any official log. All these people that are there visiting with the president, they haven't been frisked. They haven't gone through the intense security that you normally go through to get anywhere close to the president. We certainly hadn't picked anything up that there was a any sort of indication that the president was going to be going to this location and delivering meals because, in part, Ali, we would have tried to been there and been. What's a reporter saying, Ali? I think you're kind of full of crap. I'm just going to put it to you in so many words. Why? I'd like to think in a moment like this, it's not about politics. I mean, those. Are- Stephanie Rule is just going to make Ali seethe over these comments because she's humiliating him on the air. Love this. People who are probably very happy to have a meal. I, I, I have no doubt about that. I, I, just in all of our reporting and being around the president, it is not typical that uh, random unscreened people can drive their cars up next to the president like that. I mean, here's, a, here's a guy. He's covering a disaster where people are in pain, where people are suffering, where people have to go and actually get food handed to them through their car windows. And all Ali Velshi can think about is whether or not this is all just a crock and this is all just that. And it's only because Ali Velshi hates the president of the United States. It's all because Ali Velshi is a liberal and President Trump isn't. Can you imagine what, what kind of what kind of dark souls is it? Take uh, that random unscreened people can drive their cars up next to the president like that. And, and you know, by the way, Stephanie Rule's like not. After that first one, she's not saying, oh, OK, Ali, I guess you're right. Let's move on to the next topic. No. Uh, and 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 do that. So th- 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 I'm not suggesting that they call a rally. We've seen President Obama at soup kitchens and things like that. Oh, that must have been driving Ali completely crazy. Hey, little girl, don't you dare refute what I'm saying. This is a staged event and the orange monster is just handing fake food to fake people in this fake hurricane. Yeah, I think folks get checked. Maybe they do. I'm, I'm glad those people are getting lunch right now. I mean, oh, I, I can't imagine what was happening when they went to break there. I, I guess Ali Velshi must have just gone ballistic. Volcanic. He must have unleashed a tirade of of anger at these people who embarrassed him. And, and by the way, this is MSNBC. Isn't this fun? Isn't this nice to see? Scotty is uh, saying that Puerto Rico doesn't have any good food. He'd rather have Cuba as a state. Yeah, but Cuba's not a territory. It'd be a lot harder to just kind of like make Cuba a state. <laughs> We'd have to actually basically invade Cuba and then take it over because I'm not quite sure the Castro brothers or the Castros or whatever the, whoever the hell's running that place are going to be all for becoming a state. Uh, is there what is Puerto Rican food? Is there is Puerto Rican food good? I'm assuming it is. You have to imagine it's it's. Uh, let me just see Puerto Puerto Rican food. Before I get to the electoral college, we must check with. Uh, Puerto Rican food. Okay, Puerto Rican food. Let's see here. Uh, sofrito, Puerto Rican chicken, Puerto Rican sofrito, Puerto Rican rice, Puerto Rican, but sofrito must be good. Puerto Rican picadillo, Puerto Rican lasagna. Let's check that out. 
Betty Crocker's putting up a recipe for that. Puerto Rican lasagna. Okay. Apparently what makes Puerto Rican food good is uh, like adobo spices and cilantro and things like that. I think I can get into some Puerto Rican food. Puerto Rican lasagna, people. Ground beef, bell pepper, onion, garlic, cilantro. Half a cup of it, too, y'all. Adobo seasoning, apple cider vinegar, and raisins. Oh, so I bet you Puerto Rican food is uh, the typical elements of it will include like maybe um, plantains and maybe a little bit of uh, adobo spices and the raisiny mixes. It sounds like, oh, here, look at this. I, I didn't, I, you people, listen, first of all, you don't know this maybe about me, but I am like a, I, I, I love to cook. And I cook quite a bit, and my instincts are normally pretty good. I can normally like, I can normally taste something. And oh, uh, Rexford's out, out outside. By the way, can you grab the people outside for me, please, buddy? Yeah, sorry about that. I didn't t- I didn't let you know they were coming. Uh, but no, the um, I, but so so normally my instincts are not half bad. I, I can I can basically. Uh, get kind of one little hint about what something is all about and I can I can I can run with it. And so there I was mentioning the plantains and here it is. Pastelon. Pastelon. And this is uh let's see, this is um with uh plantains. Get to the get to the recipe, will you people? That's the that's the one problem with cooking sites and stuff. There's too much garbage on there and not enough uh not enough action. Okay, so what you do is you grease a baking dish. Uh, have you guys ever had plantains? They're kind of like bananas, but then they've, they've got they've got kind of a mild banana flavor to them, and they're actually pretty good. I used to I tried to grill them one time and messed it up, and it didn't work for me. So what you do is you take a baking dish, you cover the bottom of the pan with slices of uh, cooked sweet plantain, and I guess to cook it, what do you got to do? You got to uh, Peel the plantains like you would a banana, then slice each one four to five slices lengthwise. And you go ahead and uh, about an inch of oil in a frying pan, uh, heat up the plantains until golden brown, then drain them on paper towels. This sounds really good. Oh, yeah, Kathy says her husband's Italian. Raisins in lasagna is offensive. (laughs) I know, but this is Puerto Rican lasagna. So now if it were Italian lasagna and you had raisins in it, Kathy, I can imagine that that would definitely be offensive if it's Italian lasagna with raisins in it. Although I, have, I happen to believe, I happen to remember uh, my Aunt Betty when she would make meatballs and she's Italian as the day is long. I think she put, I think she, they put, uh, I, I think she's been known to put raisins in those meatballs. I don't know. Anyway. Just say no, Kathy says. I believe her. And, and listen, I don't mess with Italian women, okay? You say so, I say yes, okay? Yes, ma'am. I want a horse's head in my bed. All right, so anyway, uh, you go ahead and drain those plantains, okay? Drain those plantains. Come over here and drain some plantains with me. You know what I would have, though? I'd have a nice old glass of cold gin doing this thing right here. I'm going to make this. I'm going to make this as soon as I possibly can. 
make some Puerto Rican food. So uh, then, then you take the. Uh, uh, then I'll get to the. I'll get to the uh, the electoral college, and then we have a special guest here too. So just let me just get through this, please, people, because I'm fascinated by this. this is a good damn recipe here. So you bake the bake dish. You cover the bottom of the baking dish, the pan, with slices of the cooked sweet plantain, and boy, does it look good! Golden brown and soft. Then you put um, the picadillo, which I guess is the meat there, and half of the mozzarella and Parmesan cheese on it. You cover the picadillo and cheese with another layer of fried plantains and top with the remaining cheese. Then what you do is you pour a bunch of beaten eggs over the top, and it will hold it all together, and you bake it for 20 to 30 minutes, and you've got some Puerto Rican lasagna, people. Sounds really damn good. I'm hungry. Uh, let's see. Uh, what a picadillo just happens to be. Um, ooh, listen to this. It's Cuban style, so it's so. I think I think there's a little bit of symmetry between the Puerto Rican stuff and the and the Cuban stuff. I'm just telling you. And 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 the picadillo is is basically the ground beef, uh, tomato sauce, and adobo seasoning, and something called saison seasoning, which I'm sure you can find at your local Puerto Rican grocer. So go to your local. Puerto Rican grocer. Don't bother me with that. I can't find Saison for you. Let me get to this real quickly, and then we're gonna, we have a special guest here that I think you need to, need to hear from. So you heard Hillary whining and crabbing about the Electoral College and how it needs to be abolished. And of course, uh, it's, not, it's not unlike if you are the Cleveland Indians after the 216 2016 World Series and the Cubs win the World Series and suddenly the coach of the Cleveland Indians goes out and says, you know, I think we need to uh, change the rules of baseball. It's a very bad system we have right now uh, with the rules of baseball and it just is not working out. It's not fair. It's not equitable and it's not doing justice to the game of baseball. We need to change the rules until someone says, um, didn't you lose the World Series? Yes, we did, but not because of the fact that we didn't score enough runs. It just wasn't possible for us to actually score the runs because of certain things that got in the way. Like like what? You mean like uh, a 98-mile-an-hour fastball that you swung at and missed? No, it's just that we need to change. That's what listening to Hillary Clinton is like over the Electoral College. And now we have this Damon Linker guy, okay? Uh, if, you, if you look up Damon Linker, Damon Linker is the, uh, the house conservative over there, there at the week, you know? And, and, and Damon Linker is one of those guys, he's like uh, this Brett, whatever his face is, over there at the New York Times, and all these other conservative guys who claim to be conservative, but they're really just a bunch of Republicans is what they are. They're not really conservative. They're Republicans. And so they get out there and and they run their racket, and usually they're playing into the hands of liberals, but they really just want to go back to the good old days when we had trade deals that were throwing the American worker under the bus and everything was great and everything was just kind of Republican as opposed to uh, 
having other normal, average, everyday, hardworking Americans involved in the party. They want this party for themselves. They want to keep the taxes the way they are. They want to, you know, make sure that the uh, regulatory environment's still there because they can raise money by claiming the regulatory environment's horrible and then never do anything about it. These are the guys that run on defunding Planned Parenthood and never do anything about it. Or they run on, we need to lower taxes and yet never lift a finger to lower taxes. Well, I fight for the American worker. Oh, really? Uh, are you going to stay in all the trade deals? Yes, because that's free trade. Well, it's not fair trade. Well, it's still free trade, and you're not a real Republican if you're not support- – no, Reagan was a fighter for fair trade, just so you know. Anyway, I'm just having discussions among myself here. So these are the, the usual suspects. And if you look up Damon Linker, you'll find article after article uh, of Trump-hating bullcrap from him. And now he's calling the Electoral College an abomination. It's long past time we abolished it. The Electoral College was a dumb idea when it was first proposed. Oh, so now we're getting some very intellectual language from uh, Damon Linker as he talks about the abolishment of the Electoral College. And you know what? Uh, Alexander Hamilton was uh, one of the individuals uh, who was – it's Federalist Paper number 68 who was a supporter of the Electoral College. It's the one good thing Alexander Hamilton did uh, that, I, that, that I support. You know, uh, he, was a, he was a bad shot and he was a big government guy. But the Electoral College was a pretty good, good idea. And the reason why it's a good idea is because these guys back in the day – were concerned uh, about the fact that, uh, well, we had few states at that time, or colonies even, and then at that point they were thinking, well, uh, some of the most populous areas are like Virginia, and I said, we can't have, um, we can't, we can't have every president of the United States coming from Virginia. We have to figure out a way to apportion certain votes, assigned votes based on Senate seats and that kind of thing, uh, and, and population and that kind of thing. And, and, and we have to assign electoral votes to a particular state so, so, that, so that a president, when they are trying to become president, they just don't squat in Virginia to get those votes and ignore everybody else. It was a very uh, equitable approach to pure representation. It was a, it's a brilliant idea. And I question the intelligence of anybody who doesn't think it's a brilliant idea. And now what we have here is a Hillary Clinton who is now being supported by Damon Linker. Damon Linker and these guys, they'd much rather have Hillary in office now because they could sell their stupid books warning us about the end of the world and everything else. And, and, the, and the Republican politicians could fundraise trying to scare us about, about the uh, – uh, about what's coming because of Hillary Clinton and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, uh, they uh, Hillary Clinton, there's a reason why she thought this was going to be a cakewalk. If I just work hard in Los Angeles and hard in Philadelphia and hard in Miami and hard in New York and hard in Chicago – I could probably win this thing. So that hag thought she was had it all tidied up. 
Because if I could just get a bunch of people going to the polls in these populist, popular, uh, populated areas and most, mostly liberal areas, I could become the next president of the United States. I could become the 45th president of the United States. Oh, she'd be, it'd be great. She'd love this. And so, uh, so she did. Meanwhile, President Trump, with his brilliant people, were like, uh, listen, Don, uh, DJT, DJT, uh, DJ, DJT, you know what? We have a thing called the Electoral College. I don't know whether you're watching what's happening here, but you uh, are watching Hillary Clinton, who has is dumb as a bag of hair, apparently, and, and her staff, too. They think they can win the popular vote and actually win the presidency, and 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 president and nominee Trump, I'm sure, was like, really? Oh yeah, because here's the problem: liberals really don't pay a lot of attention to the Constitution because they don't really know much about it. They don't really care about it, so they just think they can just ignore it, and everything will be fine. And they can ignore government constructs. I mean, you saw President Obama pen the phone. I don't need to go through Congress. I'll just make a phone call, write something on a pen, pay a piece of paper. That's so. So so they have a kind of a uh, a tendency to, to and and a, and a habit of just ignoring basic governmental constructs. It's kind of like what you're seeing now with the Senate Judiciary Committee, and everybody complaining. There's too many white men on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Oh, you mean the. Old white men who were elected to the U.S. Senate, you mean? Yes. You know they were elected to the U.S. Senate, right? Yes. Orrin Hatch is an old white male. He shouldn't be questioning her. Yeah, but he's on the Judiciary Committee, and he's elected U.S. Senator from, from Utah. If you have a problem with an old white man named Orrin Hatch being on the Senate Judiciary Committee, maybe you ought to go back to the people of Utah and ask them, not to vote for him again, because the last time we checked, this old white man is on the Senate Judiciary Committee because he was elected to the U.S. Senate for the 70th time, and he's there. So that's the deal. Well, uh, Russia collusion, that's all I'm saying right now. I got, that's what I'm talking about. So that that's the kind of mentality you're getting from people. Like, the, to them... It doesn't matter whether there's a judiciary committee that with duly elected senators on it, uh, the judiciary committee, some members should not actually perform the tasks of the judiciary committee because they happen to be white and male. So that that's kind of like the, the, the pervasive view of the left and liberals. They just don't care about any kind of, of, of construct. So it's not surprising that, the Electoral College is just kind of like ho-hum, but the Electoral College isn't ho-hum, and that's why when Donald Trump was running, it was brilliant of there, uh, of them to say, you know what, while old girl is barking there in Philadelphia incessantly, let's go to Altoona. Yeah, that's right. Let's go to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's a good idea. And that's why in the remaining days of the campaign, you saw Hillary and her stupid staff running all around 
big population centers. And in seven days, you saw President Trump in Altoona and in Janesville, Wisconsin, and in Dearborn, Michigan, and other places where there were people. Springfield, Missouri. There are people there, and they vote. And when they all come out and vote, they tend to kind of cancel out uh, or at least even up the people in the population centers who were voting. And so while Hillary Clinton and her team of flying monkeys enjoy the, the fantasy of ignoring people in Festus and Altoona and Janesville and Dearborn, the reality is you can't win without them. Usually, usually you, you, you in the past maybe you could because as long as you uh, put enough of them to sleep, you keep them home. As long as you, as long as you convince them that they don't matter by, for instance, not visiting them, then they're not going to go vote. President Trump went to visit them, and he told them what he was going to do, and many of them voted. There are people I talked to who hadn't voted in twenty five years. Some people hadn't voted at all, ever. And they all came out. They all came out, and they made Hillary and her team ashen-faced. They saw a ghost, and it was the ghost of the Electoral College, and, and it was the ghost of our founding fathers who said, you are not going to become president of the United States without paying attention to all Americans. We're not going to have any of that. And so there, it was a prescient, brilliant move to create the Electoral College. Now, uh, here's one example, and before we get to our special guest here uh, of that, Republicans have been guilty of this too, because a while back, and this was after, I believe, it was after the 2012 election when, uh, when Romney lost. And Romney was lazy and was suffering from the same problem that, uh, that Democrats had, and that is they didn't care about people in Altoona. Mitt Romney couldn't give a flying F about someone in Springfield or someone in Altoona or someone in Dearborn or whatever. And, and, and that's because at the time, these Republicans were too stupid to identify that. And these people really didn't matter to them anyway. How is Mitt Romney, a globalist who supports all these unfair trade policies, how's he going to go to Altoona and say, I'm going to fight for you by uh, – uh, I'm sorry, I got to go. Because he couldn't. President Trump could because he knew what was the problem with the problem with these trade. He knew that people like Romney and these other Republicans were just throwing the American worker under the bus on a regular basis, throwing the middle American under the under the bus on a regular basis, throwing the farmer under the bus, throwing the steel worker under the bus, throwing the welder, the machinist, throwing the the uh, the 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 tech job, the, the the kid who graduates from Rolla who's got a Pakistani taking his job because of the visa program, you know, that kind of stuff. They knew, they knew all that, but, but people like Romney supported that stuff. 
because they they love all their global masters and their international corporation masters. And so they, they were all that. So, so Romney didn't go to Altoona because he couldn't go to Altoona and tell the truth. So he didn't go and he lost. Cause, uh, because uh, Barack Obama was able to uh, actually win the popular, popular vote and actually ignored people too, but managed to uh, amass more votes and therefore more electoral votes than, than Mitt Romney. So after 2012, I was approached by a bunch of uh, Republicans because they had the uh, – the, we're, we're, we're starting a new campaign. It's not to get rid of the Electoral College. It's, to, it's called the national vote. And we would have a promotion of this idea that you could uh, – you could based on the vote is how we're going to divvy it. We're going to divvy up – Electoral votes proportionally. And they'd show me a map and they'd say why this is necessary. Because right now, under the current construct, all you have to do is win this state, this state, this state, that state, this state, that state, that state, and this state. And you uh, win the presidency. Because for 40 years, these other states all went Democrat and they're still going to go Democrat no matter what. Now, keep in mind, while they're looking at that and trying to change the whole construct, President Trump is looking at it. And I told you guys this right at the very beginning, um, it, it, right in the very beginning of all this. I told you all this when, when President Trump first announced. I said, President Trump is going to have to change the electoral map to win. And you know what? He did. The electoral map that we had before was a gave gave right off the top 240 electoral votes to a Democrat because these states all traditionally had voted that way. But now um, it's completely changed. And President Trump completely changed it by paying attention to people who before this didn't matter. And now they do. And now they vote. And they'll never forget that Tuesday morning, November 8th, and I uh, was having people call into the show, and they were telling me where they were, and then I got a and, – and where the lines were long. Then I got a, uh, a message from uh, Tim Serdyke, my buddy down there in Festus, Serdyke Harley-Davidson, and he showed me a picture of the traffic lines, the, the – Cars lined up to go into a polling place in Festus. And that was at about 7.30 in the morning. And I knew at that time that this election was over. And everywhere around the country, people in towns like Festus, in towns like Altoona, in towns like Dearborn, in towns like Silex, Missouri, they were, they were lining the streets to vote. And there was no way that these people were voting for Hillary Clinton. And I knew it. And then by 1 o'clock or 2, I could prove it with one of my tweets. At 1 o'clock or 2, the media was suddenly very silent. They weren't talking a whole lot. They didn't seem gleeful. They seemed like they were, uh, they were in fact, sad. They, they were quiet. They weren't very chipper. Weren't very confident. This was about one or two in the afternoon. I'll never forget. I was sitting in a parking lot. I tweeted it out. I said, hmm. Um, 
is uh, is something going on because the media seems very, very quiet. And so, yeah. And, and then by 8 or 9 o'clock, the New York Times put out a graph. Never forget that. A, a model. And they said, this election is over. And the, at that point, the only the fun stuff we were doing was just watching all of the ashen-faced, shocked, depressed news anchors and news reporters just sit there in total shock because they too didn't check that little thing called the electoral college didn't check it. but yeah right after 2012 republicans were trying to do the same thing change maybe the electoral college isn't so good after all yeah it happens with both parties you know <laughs> enjoyed the winning but the really fun time was uh, was just watching people suffer <laughs> I'm sorry but it was fun I feel I'm st- I still I mean it's, it's too it's like you know year and a half later and I'm still enjoying it <laughs> I'm a sore winner <laughs> Actually, you know, one of my favorite pieces of video, I, I hate, I am sorry about this, but one of my favorite pieces of video was the, uh, was the, all those women crying in that, I don't know where they were, I guess they were at a party or something, waiting for Hillary to come out. <laughs> oh, man. It's fun. All right, so we've got uh, some special guest stars with us, don't we? Bring them all in, people. And Facebook, don't kick me off because of this. Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. Jeff Waldman, where are you, brother? Hello, Jeff. Way back when. Jeff Waldman, how you doing, buddy? Oh, and I guess... Uh... uh I should have warned you, and I should have warned Peter, that that it was hot in here. Here, I'll get, we'll get your mic up there real quickly and uh, get you popped up. Yeah, there. You, can you speak into it again? Yeah, it's not on, man. Um, it's okay. We'll get you. We'll get you going. All right, you okay? I'm fine. There you go. Now you're good. Now you're, now you're good. Nice to see you again. Good to see you too, Jamie. And thanks again for uh, having uh, Bethesda on your air. Uh, Bethesda's awesome. And this is something I get to my mom every year. And uh, Jeff, yeah, again, I'm sorry. Uh, I, that's the one thing. I, like I had a guy, one of my guys from Golden Oak Landing in here. 567 Gold, by the way. For all of your uh, refi needs, it's Golden Oak Landing 567 Gold guys do a great job i'll talk about that in a second uh, b- before we get, get off the air here but 
Uh, I didn't tell Jeff that it was 82 degrees in the studio, and I forgot. And so I appreciate you being a, a brave soul and coming in regardless of the, of the heat. Uh, my pleasure. It's always nice to be on the air with you. Well, great to have your support still, and uh, you guys are, are fantastic. So every year you all make sure you have a push that is designed to make sure that uh, our elderly parents – or people in any kind of medical need or any kind of precarious medical situation are okay, safe, and prepared in the event of an emergency. Yes, uh, Bethesda, for those in your audience who may not know, we are a uh, nonprofit, non-denominational senior living care and service organization. So we have pretty much everything for seniors from retirement communities through assisted living and nursing homes. We have home health, we have private duty, we have hospice care, we have memory support in all of our uh, uh, skilled nursing communities. We have uh, rehab after a hospitalization. So I guess what I'm saying is we have everything for seniors. And most importantly, we want to make sure that the seniors are able to stay safe. And so what we've put together is this kit it is a kit that is available by going to BethesdaHealth.org backslash safety and by going on and uh, requesting a form, uh, requesting a, a kit, we will send one to you absolutely free. And these hopefully will never be used. The idea is for you to get a form, fill it out, believe it or not, you put it in your refrigerator or really you should put it in your freezer, excuse me, because that is where the first responders are trained to look. And part of the kit includes a little magnet that you put on your freezer and say, we have a personal emergency medical information kit here in case there's a need. Yeah, because that's that's the key, Jeff, too. And, and, and before we get to what actually is in the information, uh, the whole freezer thing is cool. Uh, be, no pun intended, pun, right? No, yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a great idea. And, and but, but the key that people have to know is that it's not just a kind of a, uh, oh, just put it in the freezer thing. People who are coming to your home uh, from the first responder category are actually trained to look there. I mean, right. pretty much everybody down the line is. And another important thing is you can't just have a kit. You have to fill it out. And yes. that's an issue that isn't as necessarily as obvious to some of the seniors who receive one. Maybe their loved ones ordered one for them. But if they're not actually sitting there and helping them fill it out, sometimes it goes without information, and that's not going to really achieve right. anything. Right. And so, okay, so what kind of information do we need to what, – what kind of information is in the kit that right. people are filling out? So it comes in a plastic pouch. So that's, uh, uh, it makes it very convenient for you. Um, and the form is actually pretty self-explanatory once you see it. So in, dis- in addition to including demographic information, which will include your insurance carrier, um, it provides uh, room for three emergency contacts, your hospital of choice, information about your primary physician and all of your physicians, any known medical conditions that the person has. So you can check and you can write. Allergies, there's a place to put any allergies. And most importantly, there are a number of lines, but we certainly encourage if you need more room to add a sheet to it for medications because it's obviously imperative that the, f- the first responders are aware of your allergies and the medications that you're taking. Okay, and then uh, I guess because what happens is people will come in and, and uh, you're – not in any shape to be able to direct them or do anything else. So they have to have some 
some something in front of them right. that tells them everything they need to know about how to care for you. You're absolutely right. And in many cases, um, obviously, we recommend this for seniors who are living by themselves. But we also recommend that for every senior, not, as a, not only is it a good idea to have one of these, but even if you are living with your spouse or living with a family member, number one, they may not be around. And number two, in a situation like this where all nerves are being are, you know, on edge, you may not be able to remember all of the information for your loved one. So in this case, you don't have to remember it. It's all written down. It's very, very simple. All you have to do is hand it to the first responder, or the first responder, again, knows where to go. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, you know, it works much more effectively that way, obviously. Well, and it's interesting, too, because, you know, in my situation, my mom, who is about to turn 90, uh, God love her, and she's doing great, she's very healthy, uh, but she lives in a place that's kind of, uh, that is semi- uh, monitored. So, so if something happens, she can push a button in right. her home and get somebody there. And, and, and that's about, uh, it's, it's not an assisted living place or anything else. She's living on her own, mm-hmm. but she's living in a, in a place where you can actually push a button and, and get help. But that still means that she has to have something available when the help the comes. The communication still needs to uh, be provided somehow. Yeah. And we feel that this is really a, uh, a vital need for seniors and really for anybody, but it really is designed for seniors uh, just to make sure that they are taken care of in the case of an emergency. Yeah, love it. Jeff Waldman uh, from Bethesda, where do, we, where do we get a hold of these? And they're free, right? They're absolutely free. All you have to do is go online to BethesdaHealth.org slash safety. And I do want to point out, Jamie, you have been a champion of this program. We've been doing this about three, four years. Yeah. And you have been very, very kind with your time, regardless of where you are in the media. <laughs> right. you, have, yeah. you have made time to have us come on, to have me come on, talk about these kits, and uh, we really, really do appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you guys because I know you have just such a great reputation in town here on all levels uh, that you mentioned earlier about what the kind of services you provide and this is just kind of an extension of that kind of goodwill and that kind of attentiveness that uh, Bethesda is all about so anything else you want to add about this to make sure we are all got everything buttoned up I think so. We're, we're really making the push. I mean, this is available 12 months out of the year, but we're really making the push because it is National Preparedness Month. Okay. And that makes it a little more relevant, uh, you know, to come on shows like yours. Yes. But really, it doesn't matter if it's something that you kind of put away uh, and you say, I'm going to get to that later on. Don't be bashful about coming on our website and ordering one. It doesn't matter when you do it. It's just important that you do it. All right. Jeff Waldman, that's great. Uh, I appreciate you very much, buddy. And, Thank and you. thanks for coming in and... and uh, uh, sweating with me. <laughs> it's great to see you again. So, Thank you. You, know, you. You don't need to go to the gym today. You're going to be just fine. You've, you've, your calisthenics are, are, are over. Right? Thank you very much. Okay, I appreciate buddy. that. Uh, that's uh, Jeff Walbin from Bethesda. And uh, Jeff's a good guy. Yeah, you know, I had Jeff on TV, too, with, uh, on the All Report. And uh, thanks, buddy. Yep, you, you can take off. Yeah. Okay, thanks you're, a lot. You're free to leave, Jeff Walbin. Yeah. And, and you know, you, when it comes to people... Who I mean, oftentimes like I work with people who are uh, work with organizations and and they and they come and represent their company and stuff uh, or what whatever they're doing and they sometimes aren't really good at what they like. You're you're the spokesman, like you're really. And Jeff Waldman is like the best. I mean, he's you know, I, Jeff. I think I think they ought to have Jeff should be the spokesman for everybody. They have him as my spokesman. But no, he had to be. He had to have. He had to be like uh, Jeff Waldman, Spokesman Inc. 
And then Jeff, well, of course, Bethesda wouldn't let that happen. They, would, they wouldn't let Jeff, they wouldn't want to thin out uh, Jeff's duties because he works really hard for them. But I think Jeff could, has, a, has, a, has a future as one of the best spokesmen uh, the U.S. has to offer. And Bethesda is a great organization. And, and I, use, I use this kit for uh, my mom and everything else. And so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really good one. So I make sure you uh, go ahead and pick it up and that you're uh, ready to rock. All right. So wrapping up what we talked about earlier and the latest on the Kavanaugh issue, uh, this uh, woman, Dr. Ford, who, uh, by the way, uh, Jimmy Hoft has, has basically just put a, a bit up there about her uh, abortion activity in terms of her activism there. Uh, but, 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 you know, in the end, you know, there are a lot of people who have views of abortion. That doesn't mean that they, they are, they are lying about being assaulted or anything else. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I am trying to say is that this story is, um, falling apart. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and this story is collapsing right in front of our eyes and there are so many holes in it. And the worst part about it is she's not coming forward to talk about it. And, uh, I know that the judge was on this morning on Fox news saying that he believes that if the GOP sh- shouldn't rush the Kavanaugh confirmation. I don't know whether you heard him talking about that. Explain to people what they are asking for in terms of an FBI investigation. This is not an investigation of whether or not Judge Kavanaugh committed a crime. There's no allegation that he committed a crime. The event, even if it happened exactly as she said it did, was 36 years ago. Obviously, the statute of limitations has expired. This would be a reopening or a continuation of his background investigation. I myself have been the subject of background investigations. The FBI's job is to gather as much information, pro and con, factual information about the nominee as it can, without evaluating whether it's worthiness, and submit it to the uh, committee. So the FBI would interrogate in a, in a private setting and with her lawyer there, uh, Dr. Ford, her husband, because at the time she... Mm-hmm overcame the repressed memory issue, her husband was there, the therapist to whom she overcame it, and anybody else to whom she told this information. They would then interrogate Judge Kavanaugh, the person who uh, Dr. Ford says was there, his boyhood friend who denies that he was there, Mm -hmm. and anybody else Judge Kavanaugh wants them uh, to talk to. You're talking about a couple of weeks worth of uh, time. I do agree. And do you think that the president should ask the, the FBI to do that? Yes, I do. I do for a couple of reasons. I think that if if their hearing on Monday is just Judge Kavanaugh, he is going to have taint on his skin, which he doesn't deserve, and which will take years to eradicate. Mm-hmm. I would rather see uh, a Justice Kavanaugh start in November, but without taint on his skin, than a Justice Kavanaugh starting the first Monday in October, but with doubt about whether or not these events happen. I don't agree with the judge on this matter. Uh, I don't believe this story is has enough veracity to have this pollution element uh, of Kavanaugh's career. This story on its face appears to be without any kind of factual basis other than her claim. There are three other people in that house that she's talking about who have said this didn't happen. Kavanaugh doesn't even think he was there. 
And you have a woman who made a claim in July, took a lie detector test in August, and then six weeks later drops this a week before this confirmation. Now, at some point, you know, and the judge is right, we all want things to be investigated, but uh, why is it now incumbent upon the president and Kavanaugh now to do the work that should have probably been done six weeks ago if it were that important? If this were really as horrible a crime as this woman says it was and as Democrats say it was, why didn't they shout to the highest mountain six weeks ago? And and maybe then we could have had a a proper vetting of all this. We could have actually had a uh, – the FBI could have done their background or their talking and this kind of thing. So why is it now suddenly Kavanaugh's burden? Why is it now suddenly the president's burden to go back and do work and and follow up on an investigation or some – on a claim that apparently wasn't important enough to make public – Six weeks ago. I, I, I mean, I, I don't understand. And again, just because of optics. And, and again, this, the, I, I don't believe, I, listen, I love the judge and I agree with him most of the time, but I think they're overstating the tainting of this guy's reputation if he does indeed get confirmed. This, uh, story doesn't have enough power to do that. It doesn't, it doesn't have, I mean, Anita Hill, if you really want to get right down to it, had more evidence of, of her stuff than, than, than this woman does. And so I just don't, I don't agree. I, I, and again, why aren't people asking, Hey, uh, Democrats, you thought this was a terrible thing or Hey, Dr. Ford, you thought this was an awful thing. But apparently it wasn't awful enough for you to, to attack right away and, and, and get out there right away. You wanted to wait. What were you waiting for? Why wasn't, why wasn't Dr. Ford or Diane Feinstein or anybody else involved in on, it, on this? Why didn't they, when the f- claim first out, came out, why didn't they ask for uh, an investigation, FBI investigation? So now suddenly we've all got to scramble and do what others should have done if indeed it was really that important. And to tell you the truth, it doesn't appear it was. If it was, we would have tackled it six weeks ago. Can I say it in Chinese now? Yeah. All right, folks. My guys at Golden Oak Lending waiting for your phone call. 314-567-GOLD. Golden Oak Lending has millions of dollars available with mortgage rates in the threes. Get your lower share, share, share these lower rates and cash out. Home value is going up. That means your equity is increased. You're paying off interest on these high interest credit card debts. You can fix up your home. Low interest money at your disposal, and they do a free mortgage checkup to tell you exactly what you got going there. They'll qualify you over the phone. If you're shopping for a new home and you're going through my folks over at Tracy Ellis, Rick and Tracy are going to help you out. 
they're going to get you pre-approved for free so you know how much you can afford and everything else. So House Hunt with Power, the power of a pre-approval from my friends at Golden Oak Lending. If they can't close a loan, then the appraisal's no charge, and you're able to skip two months of mortgage payments. So sounds good to me. 314-567-GOLD. 314-567-GOLD. Let Golden Oak Lending cure your blues. All right, folks. Have a good rest of your day. I'll see you tomorrow.